You're listening to Resolution Radio. ResolutionRDO.com You're listening to the Liberty News Radio Network, and this is the Political Cesspool. The Political Cesspool, known across the South and worldwide as the South's foremost populist conservative radio program. And here to guide you through the murky waters of the political cesspool is your host, James Edwards. Come listening to a radio station where the mighty horse of heaven sings. Turn your radio on. Turn your radio on. Turn your radio on. I've got to tell you, this is another one of those shows that I look at on the annual broadcast calendar, and it gets circled early. This is that very special show, the only one throughout our entire broadcasting year, where Confederate History Month and Easter meet. And that is what we've got coming your way tonight, along with some of my very favorite Southern gospel music. Every song you hear tonight is going to be some of those old Baptist hymns that I grew up singing. And believe me, I can still sing all of them. Welcome. To tonight's live broadcast, I'm your host, James Edwards, along with Keith Alexander. This is Holy Week, Good Friday, yesterday, tomorrow, Sunday is Resurrection Day. And to help us fuse all of that together, the South and our faith and our people, uh, we've got two great guests tonight coming up in the third hour. Uh, the resident clergyman of TPC, after all these years, Pastor Brett McAtee. Uh, will be on to present the biblical account of the resurrection of Christ. And in our first hour tonight, our dear good friend who we could never have a Confederate History Month uh, installment without, Dr. Michael Hill. Of course, Dr. Hill is a retired university professor of history, author of two books on Celtic warfare, and president of the League of the South. Michael, it is great to have you tonight. How are you, brother? Hey, James, I'm doing well. I always appreciate being on the show. Keith, hope you're doing well tonight. Doing great. We have a friend called Mr. Confederate Man, but I told him that he needs to step aside on uh, Confederate History Month because there is only one Confederate man, basically, <laughs> at the TPC that, in that month, and that's you. That's Chief Hill. We well, call him. I, we don't even I, call him. We don't call him Doctor. We don't call him Mike. We just call him Chief. I appreciate that, <laughs> fellas. I really do. Hey, James, I love that old gospel music too. I used to listen to that with my granddaddy when I was a boy. Boy, let me tell you something. Uh, I've got all, like I said a moment ago, all of my favorites. I know you're only on with us for the first hour, but I think that's really going to be a treat tonight. Uh, this is the kind of stuff I grew up on. And, and as a matter of fact, you know, Michael, of course, we're on tonight to talk about our Southern history and heroes with you. You're on throughout the year. You're always a mainstay during our Confederate History Month series, but you're on throughout the year for other reasons as well. But uh, let's just start right there, why don't we? I mean, this has been something that has been mentioned before, but I'd love to get your take on it with this being Easter weekend. 
the erstwhile spokesman for the Southern Baptist Convention, though he's no longer there, uh, his odious work has still left uh, an imprint. Russell Moore once famously said that the Confederate flag and the Holy Bible could not stand together without one setting the other on fire. Would you like to respond to that? Do you believe that? <laughs> uh, no, absolutely not. I think they both fit quite well together. Uh, after all, what is the St. Andrew's Cross? But uh, one of the, one of the great iconic uh, uh, figures of our, of our faith, uh, the the cross that, that St. Andrew was crucified on. So I I think the two fit together very well. And uh, the South uh, has historically been known as the Bible Belt. And certainly, when you look at the comparison of men like Robert E. Lee and Stonewall Jackson, uh, and compare them to Abraham Lincoln. U.S. Grant, et cetera, you're going to see who the Christians are and who the, who the, who the uh, you know, non-Christian barbarians are there. Uh, I don't think that there's any problem in reconciling the Confederate battle flag with the Holy Bible. They fit together very well, in my opinion. If they catch on fire, I hope that Russell Moore is in the vicinity. <laughs> yeah, right, yeah, right, right in the middle. <laughs> well, it's exa- you, I mean, of course, what you said, Michael, is exactly right. I mean, the Confederate flag itself is is a cross. I mean, it literally, quite literally, is. It's a Christian symbol. It's a Christian it? symbol. Yeah, that's right. Uh, so, well, we're on tonight to we're going to talk about race in the South. You know what we see these things through race, as every other people group does the issues that we cover on this program but faith and culture and you, you know values uh, one of our mutual friends uh, gave me a slight uh, admonishment for last week's show he's saying well we talked a lot about values but at the end of the day it, it does come down to race well and, and, and he's right and he's right and but i you know I the thing about that here, too but... james is this unlike the rest of the country the south hadn't been subjected to wave after wave of foreign immigrants coming in Basically, we've got the same stock of people that we had at the founding of this nation. We have Anglo-Celtic whites, and we have blacks. And I tell people that, you know, black Southerners and white Southerners get along famously, except in instances in which a third-party agent provocateur from outside the area comes in to stir up trouble. In the first Reconstruction, it was Yankee abolitionists. In the second, it was Jewish freedom riders. Well, all of that's true, and I don't know. I mean, racial tensions today are, of course, much more exacerbated than they ever were. Well, that's because Jim we Crow have a third-party uh, agent provocateur. It's a totally different kind of, of animosity now. But, uh, Michael, when you look at our people, when you look at what makes the South Southern, uh, what makes the South that we're trying, what are we trying to preserve here? I mean, we're talking about, obviously, the white South. We're not talking about blues music and soul food. We're talking about our people. Uh, how... Do you reconcile, not necessarily reconcile, but race and faith? What what came first? I mean, for our people, is it the race? I mean, I guess it's the race, but the faith has been has been a, a great boon for us uh, over so many centuries. And uh, well, a nation is biblical sound, and a nation is racial. Well, take it from there, Michael. Yeah, that, that's true. Uh, the South would not be the South without <clears throat> Christianity being the foundation for it. Um, you know, there's a reason that uh, medieval Europe uh, was referred to as Christendom, uh, and that is that, that uh, Christianity was taken uh, to the white race, and the white race has uh, perpetuated it throughout the centuries. Uh, and I, I, I don't think that there's, there's, there's any mystery uh, that we are God's people. 
Um, I, I've believed that for a long time. My grandfather taught me that. Uh, and I believe it, and I think the, the best manifestation of it uh, that we've had in America has been in the South. The South has always been, uh, as I said before, uh, referred to as the Bible Belt, and I think rightly so. And I, I don't think that you can separate race from religion. Uh, I won't get into all the uh, – you know, I, I'm glad you're having uh, uh, Brett uh, McAtee on, Pastor McAtee on. Uh, I'll be listening to him for my Easter service tomorrow. <clears throat> and uh, as I do every man. Sunday, uh, he's, he's a fine man, and I, I'm I'm certainly glad, uh, honored to be on the same show with him tonight. And he probably can answer these questions a lot better than I can, but uh, from a theological standpoint. But uh, to me, um, you know, Christianity is white man's white man's religion first and foremost, and no better manifestation of it uh, historically has you know has been anywhere else but the South. Um, hey, that's right. We, yeah, I hear your music coming on. I'll continue this on the other side if you'd like. Yeah, this is just an opening salvo in a night that is going to blend two fundamental aspects of this program together, our people and our faith. We'll be right back with Dr. Michael Hill. The Honorable Cause of Free South is a collection of 12 essays written by Southern Nationalist authors. The book explores topics such as what is the Southern nation, what is Southern nationalism, and how can we achieve a free and independent Dixie. The Honorable Cause answers questions on our own terms. The book invites readers to understand for themselves why a free and independent Dixie is both preferable and possible. The book pulls in some of the biggest producers of pro-South content, including James Edwards, the host and creator of The Political Cesspool, and Wilson Smith, author of Charlottesville Untold, Arkansas congressional candidate and activist Neil Kumar, host and creator of the Dissident Mama podcast, Rebecca Dillingham, author of A Walk in the Park, My Charlottesville Story, Identity Dixie's Patrick Martin, and yours truly, Michael Hill, founder and president of the League of the South, as well as several other authors. The Honorable Cause is available now at Amazon.com. In Message 1, we said that Satan, the father of lies, John 8.44, gave the left evil, spiritual power, the more they used the lies. The political left today is the beast. Now, the Bible confirms that the dragon gave him, the beast, his power. Revelation 13, 2. The extra evil spiritual power that comes from the beast by their lying is what accounts for the string of the leftist criminals in the government that have never yet been prosecuted. It also explains why American capitalists support communism in the 21st century. Note 1. That behavior of capitalists was predicted by Vladimir Lenin, a cell of the beast. Note 2. Henry Ford was a capitalist, and he would have never gone communist. The difference between Ford and the present-day, end-time capitalists is that Ford was born and educated in the Kingdom of Christ, 19th century America, the New Jerusalem, Revelation 21. On that riding cloud this morning, when the dead in Christ shall rise, and the glory of His resurrection share, when His chosen ones shall gather to their home beyond the skies, and the road is followed yonder I'll be there.
tell y'all folks, I can remember singing that one at full throttle as a young boy. And of course, listen, I know the churches have become a big problem. I mean, you don't need to tell me or Michael Hill or, or Keith Alexander that. The, 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 all of the denominations, these evangelical churches are dying because they've alienated men who are the natural spiritual leaders of family. The, the long march through the institution is marched right through denominational headquarters of almost every denomination. Fundamentalist, uh, liturgical, uh, Roman Catholics. Even. And these denominations you're talking about, Keith, with its, their cucking on race and feminism and immigration demands that the saving grace of Christ comes attached at the hip with what really you can't describe it as anything else than being a, a sick suicide cult led by feminized people, feminized men. And you have to ask, does it even qualify as gospel when any sane person must reject the suicidal package offered by the modern-day church? Suicide is not good news. Any reasonable person would reject such a ridiculous practice of religion out of hand, meaning that the very best people, uh, many of them, have been alienated from Christianity. So we hope, I think, uh, this Easter weekend that there is some measure of extraordinary grace at work today for the reasonable unbeliever, the disproportionately non-religious, conservative, a white man who supported Trump, for instance, cannot but look at the church and gag. And had I not been raised in it, I might have had the same revulsion. But just as the political establishment must be replaced, so must the Christian religious establishment. So we wait that charismatic and forceful advocate of traditional Christianity. We're going to drive the cucks from the pulpits. But, Michael, it wasn't always that way. I think you would agree that uh, Christianity didn't inhibit our activism, uh, but perhaps complemented it. Yeah, it undergirded it. I mean, you know, for for example, um, you look back at uh, James Henley Thornwell and Robert Louis Dabney uh, back during the uh, <clears throat> during the war and, and before the war. Uh, the church that I, that I last went to as, as a member, which I, I walked away from about seven years ago, because they wanted me to start proselytizing Muslims and inviting them into my home, and I told them to basically go to hell. Um, they, they've rejected uh, Thornwell and, and Dabney. Uh, anybody who rejects those gentlemen, and I think Dabney was probably the best theologian that North America's ever produced. Um, I mean, how, how can you con continue to support a church that, um, that disavows its, its leading theological light like that? I mean, we're, we're just in a terrible mess as far as organized religion goes today. I mean, there are very few churches out there. As I said, you know, we, we support uh, Pastor McAtee's church, and, you know, that's our worship on Sunday morning. We don't, we don't go because we can't find a church that, that should even be called a church these days, uh, and that's here in rural North Alabama. So, I mean, we, we have a bad, bad situation. You are extremely blessed in today's world if you can find a good Bible-believing church with a good fellowship with people that are not afraid or ashamed of being white. Yeah, and I don't expect them, I don't expect to go into any church and hear a sermon like uh, you, you would hear broadcast on this program, but I at least want to go into a church and them not uh, feed me suicide, <laughs> cyanide. But uh, <laughs> well, let me ask you this, and then we're going to pivot after this segment and, and get into uh, your chapter in the book and, and, and away from this for a moment. But Neil Kumar, in, in, in the new book, to which you have contributed a chapter, and so have I, Neil Kumar as well, the Honorable uh, Cause of Free South. We've been promoting it heavily the last couple of weeks on the program. A great kickoff party at uh, Traveler's Rest, South Carolina last week. Wonderful, wonderful reception so far. Neil Kumar, I really appreciated his chapter. He, he writes in it, though, and I'll talk to Neil when he comes on the program this month about it, uh, that we 
it, it was almost as if you must be a Christian in order for us to be able to work with you. And I don't know. Well, let's 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 look at it this way. If you're talking about professing Christians and what they have become, these namby-pamby feminized men on, on one hand, uh, and a guy who has not yet received the gift of belief on the other, but is with us on, on race and all of the causes and uh, that we champion and culturally and uh, all of that, I, I think, you know, yes, I mean, we have to, we obviously not everybody tuning in tonight is a Christian. This is a Christian program. We're Christians, but I don't expect everybody who's tuned in tonight to be a Christian, although predominantly they will be. Uh, your, your thoughts on that dividing line? I don't think we can let that divide us, Michael. Uh, no, I don't think we can either. You know, what I would do <clears throat> and what we've done in the league uh, for the last almost 30 years, we, we said we don't have any religious tests, though. But anyone who comes in is going to get a healthy dose of traditional Christianity. And if they're not comfortable with that, then they probably need to find another organization. We're not going to insist that they become Christians, but we hope to influence them uh, in a way. Uh, and obviously, the Holy Spirit does that work. But, uh, you know, we can point them in the right direction uh, and uh, and let them know that, you know, a Southern organization like this would be less than Southern if we didn't um, – honor our, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, uh, with everything we do. Uh, I've got no sympathy for these uh, feminized so-called Christians. Yeah, so-called. Uh, I, I, I really don't think they are truly Christians. They may call themselves that. But somebody who is, is uh, you know, solid on the race question and a, and a proud Southerner, you know, I'll work with those people. I'll say, hey, Absolutely. you know, well, uh, you, you know, you, you can tell me to get out of here, but until you do, I'm going to give you the gospel. A lot you of know, the people I'll... that we work with uh, are, are not believers. Uh, we appreciate them as champions. We work with them on issues of mutual agreement. I think it's fine to prefer Christians to be our rulers and our compatriots, and certainly that we, we, we should. But but again, you, you've got so-called Christians that are working, that are doing everything that uh, that evil leftists would have them do, uh, and so we, we're not going to have fellowship with them. Uh, but, you know, my idea, if, if, if you're talking about what's the template for our version of Christianity, which is, I think, the the, the authentic version of Christianity, uh, I'm looking at people like, you know, Constantine and Charlemagne and Richard the Lionheart and even more contemporary people like Robert E. Lee and Stonewall Jackson, uh, not to mention Charles Martel. Had it not been for Christianity uniting the tribes of Europe, I think that we would have been completely snuffed out as a race. I, and I think Christianity, it was God's plan that it, that Europe was Christendom, like you were saying. Well, earlier. that's what Michael said. Yeah, that's right, Keith, because God first sent Paul through a vision. He wanted to go to Asia, but uh, through a vision, God said, no, go to Macedonia. And uh, through there, it came to our people. But, I mean, certainly there were no more pious and devout Christians than the likes well, of look, Lee we're the, and Jackson. We're the ones and... that spread it. We're the ones that made it prosper. Believe me, if uh, Africa rather than Europe had been Christendom, I doubt whether they would have built Notre Dame Cathedral, for example. And, again, you know, Lee, Jackson, Dabney, it just that's, that's to me, the utmost manifestation of Christ-like men on, on, on this earth. But I, we went to an Easter thing at a local church. We don't go to this church but we visited it michael and when we got there the easter egg hunt we want to take the kids they're playing rap music they have christian rap music now and i told my oh. wife i told her this just 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 a week i said had it been christians like that that were charged with protecting our continent during the holy wars we'd have been cut through like warm butter we've got to do really? better we've got to demand better 
I said that this. this well, I don't. Week. I don't get out of the house. I don't get out of the house much. <laughs> so I, don't, I. I didn't know there was such a thing as Christian route, but they have. I won't be. Have. I won't be listening. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, the, the, it seemed like it all started. The great falling away, rather than the great awakening, happened right after World War II with the advent of the civil rights movement. I'd mm-hmm. say that you have a lot of churches that have exchanged the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John for the Gospels of Peter, Paul, and Mary. React to that, if you would, please, Mike. Yeah, I, I think they have. I think they sold, you know, they're trying to please the world, the flesh, and the devil. Uh, they sold out to them, uh, you know, for the accolades of man and, you know, for a seat at the world's table. Uh, instead of saying, hey, this is our table, we own it, and, uh, you know, you get out. Uh, we, we don't have any Christians with guts anymore to defend, uh, you know, what God has given us. Uh, even here in the South, I'm... I'm I'm sorry to say that we've lost a lot in in our manhood, uh, Christian manhood, standing up and taking down of our Confederate statues and things like that is just you know that that's the final straw. That's when we know that you know the society generally has you know made had a great falling off. There's just you know when they don't recognize the greatness of Robert E. Lee or Nathan Bedford Forrest, people like that, and our society no longer venerates them. Uh, you know, this is not the America you and I were born into, Michael. No, it, it isn't. And I'm, I'm really sorry to say it's not even the South that I was born into uh, 71 years ago. But look, I, I still think that the, uh, that the raw material, if you will, is there. I think if you scratch a Southerner and scratch all this modernism off of him, you're still going to find a Southerner beneath. That's right. And that's what we, we've got to do. It's a hard job, but we have to do it. As we say so often, we don't fight for our people as they exist now, but what they once were and what they can possibly be again. That's our hope and our dream this Holy Week and always. We're going to shift gears with Michael. He'll talk about his chapter in the Honorable Cause next. Pursuing Liberty, using the Constitution as our guide. You're listening to Liberty News Radio. USA News. I'm Jerry Barmish. Police say a threat against a Dallas mall Saturday morning was unsubstantiated. North Park Center was evacuated due to reports of an unconfirmed threat. In a statement following the police response, the mall said the threat was possibly connected to those affecting Nordstrom stores in the area, so North Park closed their location while cops investigated. Federal judges in two states made vastly different rulings on abortion medication. Attorney General Merrick Garland said the Department of Justice will appeal the decision by a judge in Texas that halts the FDA's approval of Mifepristone while reviewing another in Washington state that says the Food and Drug Administration must ensure that abortion drugs remain available in at least a dozen states that sued the agency. The government has seven days to appeal the ruling. Vice President Harris says the Biden administration will do all they can. There is no question that the president and I are going to stand with the women of America. A lawsuit by an anti-abortion group argued that the five-year approval process for the drug was rushed. I'm Jeremy Scott. Two people are dead and a police officer wounded following a standoff in the town of Blanchard, Oklahoma. The standoff began after police responded to a house on reports of a domestic disturbance. The injured officer is now hospitalized after undergoing surgery. Railways are getting a new look at how to handle safety. 
regulators are calling on railroads to reevaluate their placement of train cars following an increase in derailments. The Federal Railroad Administration issued a safety advisory saying railroads must prioritize proper train makeup to maintain safety, prevent accidents, and optimize train performance. The order does not force railroads to act, but it's part of a push by the federal government to bolster train safety following the toxic train derailment in Ohio. I'm Karen Sloan. This is USA News. Nothing fights the winter blues like a delicious and satisfying meal. Luckily, Omaha Steaks makes it easy to start the year right and keep that warm and cozy feeling going all winter long. Right now is the perfect time to stock up and fill your freezer with flavor. Go to omahasteaks.com and use promo code TREAT at checkout and get $30 off your order. Save on perfectly portioned favorites easy meals, and so much more with Omaha Steaks Freezer Filler Sale. That's $30 off an endless variety of gourmet choices from incredible steaks, premium chicken, delicious pork to seafood. There's something for everyone, and every bite is backed by their 100% money-back guarantee. Visit omahasteaks.com today. Enter TREAT at checkout to get $30 off your order. Order with complete confidence today, knowing you're ordering the very best. Visit omahasteaks.com Use promo code TREAT at checkout to get that extra $30 off your order. Minimum order may be required. Let us labor for the master from the dawn to Samson. Let us talk of all this wondrous love and care. Then when all of life is over and our work on earth is done, and the road is taller beyond your eyes, Southern Gospel Hymns. You remember that one, Michael? Yeah, go ahead, Michael. Yeah, I've sung that many times. That's a that's a great song. And, yeah, well, of course it is. And as I said before, the faith did not inhibit the work of people like Michael Hill. It empowered it. And I want to say, we were talking about some of the heroes of the faith and our race, Constantine, Charlemagne, Richard the Lionheart, Lee Jackson, Dabney, Charles Martel, who saved Europe, Jan Sobieski. Michael Hill is one of those modern-day heroes, and I don't say that lightly, Michael. Your performance, you know, that iconic stand you took in Charlottesville leading that column, that, that's, that's one thing, not to mention your lifelong work with the League of the South, fighting for a cause well, pre- greater than yourself. But I appreciate I, I got, you saying that, James. I well, I, I mean it. I mean it. And uh, we've paid a price. You've paid a price. People who've paid a price have a fellowship. But I, I want to say... The one thing you did that really, I mean, you'd already had my utmost respect and devotion, but when you were on trial in Charlottesville, you know, so many people that were on, on trial in, in a situation like this, when presented with things they had said in the past or believed, they say, oh, I, I believed it then, but I'm so ashamed, so embarrassed of it. I listened to that whole trial. As a matter of fact, when that was going on about a year and a half ago, 
you were on the stand on a Friday night. We're on the show the next day uh, after on a Saturday night. And I remember them trying to, uh, the attorneys trying to get you in one of these gotcha moments, you know, trying to embarrass you, trying something you had said, something you'd written. And you handled it like a man, like a lion. You said, I believed it then and I believe it now. They would say, well, did you remember saying this? I believed it then and I believe it now. It will only be through men with that sort of resolve that we ever get out of this tailspin, Michael. Then I salute you. Well, I, I thank you, James, for saying that. I, I, I went. I, I found a room that I could sit in and collect my thoughts before I had to go on the stand, and I, I, I got down on my knees and prayed to God that he would give me the words to say and the courage to say them. Uh, and so I have, to, I have to give the credit to him uh, because, you know, he, he bolstered me and, and gave me the courage and, and, and the right words to say at the moment, but he promised he would do that. If we just asked, so I asked, and he 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 came through for me. So I, I appreciate well, you saying that, but man, I got to give the credit to him. That's what we're talking about here, ladies and gentlemen. Though, how the faith empowered Michael Hill in that moment and throughout his life, and and to to an extent, to a lesser extent, mine as well, uh, and and the work that we do in this program, being tethered into something eternal, gives you a supernatural power uh, in, in your finite time on earth because we're fighting for generations here we're fighting uh for our bloodlines and michael anyway th this th your chapter your chapter in this book uh, the honorable cause of free south uh you wrote a standout chapter it's worth buying the book just to read michael's contribution to it liberal democracy versus organic nationalism a template for the south take all the time you need and then we'll bring keith back on in this uh, but take all the time you need to share with the audience what you uh, are trying to convey in your chapter in the book well, you know, there is, and, and I'll use uh, sort of the MAGA movement here as, as kind of a hook. Uh, the, the Trump supporters uh, in this America First uh, thing, uh, you know, they, they believe they're nationalists, but they are what we call civic nationalists, um, meaning that they are no different from uh, the Lincolnites, uh, and Lincoln, of course, in his uh, Gettysburg Address, said that America was a proposition nation and built on the proposition largely that all men are created equal. Um, you know, well, I call bull, I call BS on that. Um, the kind of uh, organic nationalism I'm talking about uh, in my essay in this very, very fine book that I recommend that everybody go out and buy a copy of uh, is not civic nationalism, James. It's blood and soil nationalism, the only kind of nationalism that's going to save the South or going to save any traditionally white uh, uh, nation state. Uh, well, it's really it the only the, type of nationalism there is, Michael, because well, it is. a it proposition is. nation is, is just an invention of Jewish liberals, basically. Well, So when we're talking yeah, about a national exactly. divorce, which has become a euphemism for secession, what are we talking about? A nation is a race. We're talking about a racial secession, are we not? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, uh, I, I, think it was, uh, <laughs> I think it was Marjorie Taylor Greene, the uh, congresswoman from, from Georgia, who, who came out and said we need a national divorce. Um, well, I, I wonder if Miss Green. I'm, I'm not trying to belittle her or anything. I, I appreciate her saying that and getting it on the on the radar. But does she really understand what she's talking about when she talks? Is calling for a national divorce. Um, we in the league have been calling for a national divorce in the true sense of the word 
for about 30 years, uh, I have had no problems saying that my goal is to make the South white man's land again, like it was in the days when uh, when I grew up. And, uh, you know, that's what I like to see a return to. So that, that's kind of the, the underlying theme of my chapter here, is that liberal democracy is a failure. Liberal democracy is something that if whites accept it with our declining birth rate and in 1890, whites were about 30% of the world's population. Today, we're about 10% or a little less. Uh, democracy is a racial head count. I mean, that's what it is. And with an open border and declining white birth rate, democracy is going to destroy the white race in America and in other countries where you have large numbers of non-whites already there and coming in as immigrants. Whether it's legal or illegal, it doesn't matter. Uh, they will be voters that will disenfranchise and make whites politically powerless. Uh, we have got to have a return to organic nationalism. And as Keith pointed out, you know, there's only one kind of nationalism, and it's blood and soil nationalism. And unless we have the courage to say this is our land, and when we say our we mean the founding stock, what, what many people today call heritage Americans, uh, heritage Southerners in our case. Uh, this is our land. Every people has to have a land on which to live. And if we don't have that, and we are a minority that is uh, basically politically uh, emasculated, uh, we have no future, no future for our, ourselves, no future for our offspring. So when I say that we need to return to organic nationalism, we need to return to this idea that this is our land and we rule it in our interest. And citizenry, the, the citizenship rather, uh, is a privilege that is allowed only to those of us in this in this land who uh, are responsible and who will see to the best interest of our people, and that is uh, obviously white males. And I say that with no shame or no uh, <clears throat> no trepidation. I mean, you know, we go back to this thing about white male rulership in our society, and we will take a giant step toward revitalizing the South. Yeah, but let, let me tell you something, Michael. Nobody would have a problem if you were a black man saying Chad or Uganda or wherever is the black man's land. They would applaud it. They would celebrate. They'd pat you on the back. There is no shame in us wanting a place where our culture and our faith and our language and our heroes can predominate as well. Keith, before the break. Well, a perfect example of why we can't share our patrimony with other races is Donald Trump's trial in New York. Which you're going to take an hour yeah. to dissect in the but next But just think hour. about this. Alvin Bragg is not one of us. Neither is this Judge Marshawn. They're both uh, different people. They're not white Southerners or part of the founding stock of uh, any part of America. And as a result of that, we can't depend on our institutions and our form of government to operate properly when it's entrusted to people like that. You know, everybody concedes that Donald Trump is, um, uh, you know, he's a dead man as far as uh, any chance in that courtroom with uh, yeah, a prosecutor like Keith, that. 
Hey Keith, if he gets by like that, he's got Atlanta. He's got Atlanta to face, and that may exactly. may be even more daunting. That may be exactly. even more daunting than uh, See, than New York. Diversity is is not strength. Diversity is Ann Coulter yeah, said. Where, got... where has it ever happened? How, where have they ever had racial diversity or ethnic diversity where it hasn't been an enormous problem? Yeah, Michael Keith, y'all. Are... On to something big. I hear the music. we got one more segment with the great uh, Michael Hill of the League of the South. LeagueofTheSouth.com. LeagueofTheSouth.com. Why don't you become a member like I am? LeagueofTheSouth.com. But, yes, New York didn't win the race. They were just the first to the poll. Uh, Fannie Willis down in Atlanta are, is going to indict Trump, too. This is just the first. We're going to talk about that in the next hour before Brett McAfee. Our jury trial system. We'll be right back. ABC family. This is James Edwards, your host of the Political Cesspool. Folks, I want you to subscribe to the American Free Press, America's last real newspaper. Against all odds, AFP has and continues to publish a populist, independent print newspaper with an unparalleled track record. Founded by a dedicated group of experienced patriots, AFP pulls no punches and tackles the most controversial and pressing issues facing America from an America First perspective. I've worked with the American Free Press since even before the beginning of TPC. Now that's something. You can subscribe to the print edition by visiting AmericanFreePress.net today or simply pick up a handy digital edition subscription. However you do it, subscribe to the American Free Press, America's last real newspaper, by visiting AmericanFreePress.net or by calling 1-88-699-NEWS, AmericanFreePress.net. As you are aware, America is divided over every fault line possible. This is intentionally fostered by those who do not love God, family, or country. We believe a peaceful future as a free people absolutely depends on civility. Clarion Call for Civility is looking for funding and volunteers at every level to make our hopes and efforts a reality. Please donate, sign our pledge, and help us in our sacred cause. Please visit callforcivility.com for more details. Callforcivility.com fighting for the soul of liberty and true pursuit of happiness for everyone. Freedom Fest 2023 is coming to the home of the blues and birthplace of rock and roll, Memphis, Tennessee, July 12th through 15th. It's the ultimate summit for liberty, educating and empowering through art, music, film, and comedy while promoting economic freedom and highlighting today's political issues. Use promo code ROUND50 to save 50 bucks off the current rate. Reserve your spot at freedomfest.com.
and gentlemen, uh, I grew up singing these songs. To paraphrase Michael Hill, I loved them then and I love them now. Michael, you give a Southerner a piano, a harmonica, and a fiddle, and we can do something with it. I know you got some musical chops. We certainly can. (laughs) We certainly can. I love it. Well, let me tell you a little bit more about Michael Hill. I mean, of course, League of the South, LeagueoftheSouth.com. But uh, he attained his Ph.D. in history from the University of Alabama, uh, the author of Celtic Warfare, which we have used as a uh, fundraising. Uh, yeah, I, I'm here. Uh, I can't hear James. Though. Okay. Uh, yeah, I, I uh, appreciate uh, all the things that James has said about me. Uh I could say pretty much the same about him. He's he's been a fearless fearless leader of the Southern cause here for quite some time, and uh, he if he lives out his normal life, he'll have a lot more years to do this than I've got left. Uh, he's a young man, and I'm not. But I still feel pretty young, but uh, I appreciate James uh, always having me on the show during Confederate History Month, and uh, it's always been a great pleasure to be here. Um, and I want to encourage you all to buy this book. Uh, Patrick Martin is the editor of it. Uh, he's with Identity Dixie. It's called The Honorable Cause of Free South. And you can get it by going to Amazon.com. I mean, I hate you have to go there to get it, but hey, we get some of the, we get some of the funds. Uh, so you'll be supporting a good cause. And listen, this book has been getting some good reviews and quite a few reviews. Uh, so buy a copy yourself, buy a copy for your friends, your family, and get it out there because I think it's here at an opportune time. Um, There's a lot going down right now, uh, politically, economically, socially, not just here but around the world that are going to make some major changes over the next six months to two years, I believe. And we have an opportunity here now as Southerners to do some things that, that may maybe were not possible for us 10, 15, 20 years ago. We could talk about them then. Maybe we can do them now. And one is push for a free and independent South and have people take that seriously. Yes, they have to take it seriously. I had a little momentary a blip there on my mic, so thank you for taking over there, Michael. But sure, uh, what I was no saying problem. before you took over so capably after all these years is that um, I, I read uh, your contribution to the book and neil kumar's and uh, i was like tone it down hell these guys are knocking it out of the park i had gone back and you know so amazon would carry it i took out the word you know we fight for our race i changed race to people right. group and things like that but uh, in any event uh, i want to read right now from the book uh this is in uh, from your chapter michael and this really just coalesces everything that we're we're, we're talking about in this hour with you uh you write that We take our stand in the historic South and for the people, white Southerners, who made the historic South what it is. The South is not a universal idea any more than Scotland, France, or Serbia. Instead, the South was and is a true nation built on the realities of place and kinship that we must revitalize 
if we are to survive and prosper. Now, values matter, culture matters, but what it really comes down to is what you just said. It comes down to race and, and, and also faith, I think, because uh, they complement one another and they inform one another. But um, the situation here, you know, with the issue of transgenderism, I mean, that is not a peripheral issue. I mean, that is something that, that strikes the very bloodline of our people. Bloodlines are being, uh, are being severed forever because of these satanic attacks against our people, whether it's through no-fart divorce or transgender or whatever, these manifestations of the left. Yeah, go ahead. Miscegenation. Well, yeah, all, yeah, exactly. I mean, this is all a manifestation of Satan as far as I see it and as far as I'm concerned. That's the way I, I view it. It is, James, uh, and we as Christians are called on not only to fight evil, but to destroy it. And this is evil personified. I mean, we know who these people are, and we know who's pushing this on us. If we sit by and let this be done to our children, then we deserve the faith that we're going to get. We have to destroy this evil. I mean destroy it. And there is no room for compromise with it. There is no room for half measures. Half measures are the currency of cowards. What we need are full measures to get this cancer eradicated from our society right now and those who are responsible for it. And while we're on the subject, Michael, <clears throat> this was not homegrown. This did not, um, this liberalism, no. which is the uh, opposite faith system to traditional Christianity in America and in the South in particular. It wasn't the product of other white Southerners. It was a no. foreign group that we're well yes. aware of, okay? And uh, unfortunately, white Southern fundamentalists seem to have fallen lock, stock, and barrel for this heresy called Jewish dispensationalism. Yep, you know, I always absolutely. learned in some, I learned in Sunday school that if you don't have the son, you don't have the father. But now they tell you that... Um, they are saved. You, you listen to John Hagee or all sorts of televangelists now. They tell you that Jews don't need to be uh, evangelized. They have their own separate covenant with God. They're going to heaven <laughs> even though they don't accept yeah, right. Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. We need to call this out and tell people this that man you, know, you, cannot let that, you cannot let the camel's nose in the tent because if you do, as the Arabs say, the next thing you know, the camel will be in your tent, own it, and you'll be moved out. <laughs> I, uh, I love it when you said that, Keith. Uh, what, what, Lauren Witzke, who's a friend of ours, she wrote something with regards to the whole transgender thing, which is, again, attacking our bloodline, so it must be repelled. I mean, the, the, all of this, as you say, Michael, it has to be stamped out. It has to be expelled from our land. She wrote uh, quite succinctly, the story of Sodom and Gomorrah was supposed to be a warning, not an instruction manual. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But in any event... Uh, the Honorable Cause of Free South. Dr. Michael Hill contributed one of the chapters, one of the great chapters. There's no weak points, but, uh, of course, my friendship with Michael uh, makes me partial to him uh, over all these years. So you can get it at Amazon.com. We encourage you to do it. The Honorable Cause of Free South. Michael Hill talking about that tonight, this holy week where it intersects with Confederate History Month. LeagueOfTheSouth.com. We want you to join. We want you to support the work of Michael Hill. Boy, he has proven himself. He has proven himself through every trial and every tribulation uh, that, uh, that our people can face here. And that's the kind of leadership we need. And I am still uh, young enough, and a lot of people come up to me, and they say, well, thank you for all you've done, and uh, I, this, and we appreciate it. 
Well, I appreciate that. I appreciate your appreciation. I appreciate the people. I appreciate my elders. I, I was still raised in a day and age where the, the elders and the ones who came before me and who set the standard for people like me to follow. Michael Hill is one of those. And, Michael, I want to thank you again this Easter weekend, this Confederate History Month, for being on with us. Uh, we got about three minutes remaining. What does the South mean to you, your Confederate forebears? It is Confederate History Month. And so how do give, we win this battle? Let's give a tip of the hat to them and tell us the way forward. Uh, well, it means everything to me. It's who I am. Uh, and we win this battle by not giving up. Uh, the side that quits loses. We're not going to quit. I'm not going to quit. You're not going to quit. Uh, none of us are going to quit. We're going to fight this thing to the last ditch. And the last ditch is going to be their last ditch, not ours. Because I have faith that God will not desert us after all this time if we remain faithful to him and faithful to his word and faithful to the vision of our ancestors. We are who we are because of them and because of God's grace to them before us. And it's up to us to continue that fight today, win or lose in our generation, to continue it. And I hope we win. I pray we win. But if we don't, we've got to continue to fight so our future generations will have ground on which to fight from as well. So We're going to do our duty until God himself calls us home. Why should every self-respecting Southern man join and support the League of the South? Um, because it's their duty to do so. And Robert E. Lee said it's the sublimest word in the English language. And I do believe that's true. A man who does his duty can do no more. And we should expect him to do no, no less. So... There you are, folks. Do your duty, and you know what your duty is to your God and to your blood. Hey, Michael, I got to say this. I'm going to give the final word to Keith. I just, and I hope he don't, he doesn't mind me sharing this. But uh, Sam Dixon is tuned in right now, and he just sent me a text message saying that you have set out the truth in the quote that I just read. And you know how much we appreciate and respect Sam. Oh, absolutely. Oh, Let absolutely. He, he's he's one of my favorites. Well. The, remember the dying words of Lord Horatio Nelson on the deck of the HMS Victorious when he was mortally wounded by a French sniper, but he was told by his adjutant that the French admiral had just surrendered. His dying words were, Thank God, sir, I have done my duty. And I hope we all have the same dying words. And, and listen. Absolutely. God's will will be done, win or lose. And so all we can do is our duty. And if we fall short or if we prevail, whatever it is, I want to win or lose together. Michael, final word to you. Absolutely. Absolutely, sir. We win or lose together, but I have great faith in, in God that he is going to let us be on the winning side if we do our duty. And we need to just bow our backs and, and push forward every day and do a little bit more until we get to that finish line. And we've got what we want, and that's a free and independent South. For our people and our posterity, Dr. Michael Hill, president of the League of the South, leagueofthesouth.com. If you remember one website during Confederate History Month, remember leagueofthesouth.com. We've got so many more Southern-themed guests and interviews lined up for the rest of this month. Uh, but tonight's a special night with Michael Hill and still to come in the third hour, Pastor Brett McAtee. In the second hour, though, we're going to take a brief departure and talk with Keith about the arrest and indictment of Donald Trump. Stay tuned, everybody. Thank you, Chief. We'll talk to you again soon. Stay tuned, everybody.
Antelope Hill is proud to announce the release of a new translation, Leon de Grel in Exile, by Jose Luis Jerez Reisco. Readers of The Burning Souls will already be familiar with de Grel's life before and during the Second World War, his service on the Eastern Front, and his involuntary post-war exile in Franco, Spain. This new work tells the story of his life in exile in detail, replete with first-hand accounts from Spanish nationalists and friends of de Grel. During his time in Spain, de Grel did not wallow in sadness, despite the atrocities inflicted upon him and his family by the victorious Allied powers. He stayed remarkably active in European nationalist politics and left a lasting impression on both his personal friends and those from around the European world who took inspiration from his tenacious idealism. De Grel's enduring legacy in Spain is well-deserved. Such a legacy also deserves to be spread to both sides of the Atlantic and beyond. Antelope Hill is proud to be the first to bring this unparalleled biography to the English reader. Get Leon de Grel in exile today at antelopehillpublishing.com. Thanks for listening to Project Schoolyard Volume 2. For more information about the project, as well as lyric to the songs on this CD, please visit www.tightrope.cc. You can also find jokes, news articles, a photo gallery, free CD downloads, and a secure online shopping cart. We carry a full line of flags, t-shirts, CDs, books, stickers, and other products of interest to racially conscious white people. Please visit www.tightrope.cc. You're listening to the Political Cesspool on ResolutionRDO.com. Call and listen now at 607-203-5423. That's 607 607- 
203-203-503-5423. You're listening to the Liberty News Radio Network, and this is the Political Cesspool. The Political Cesspool, known across the South and worldwide as the South's foremost populist conservative radio program. And here to guide you through the murky waters of the political cesspool is your host, James Edwards. twist on an old southern hymn. Keith, I bet you don't sing it like that in the Episcopalian church. That's the way the uh-huh. fundamentalists do it right there. No, well, I'm in the Anglican <laughs> church now. I had to get out of the Episcopalian oh, church once I started having the gay bishops. <laughs> I... I'm listening. Well, that's what we have to do. <laughs> okay. You know, basically, you know, you can't you can't support with your tithes and offerings uh, uh, the Antichrist, and that's basically <laughs> what um, many denominational headquarters have become. Ain't that the truth? Uh, Don't we know it, uh, ladies and gentlemen? Uh, But uh, welcome back to tonight's special broadcast of TPC, Confederate History Month and Easter converging here this Saturday night. We're in the middle between Good Friday and Resurrection Day, and I was looking at the schedule for the rest of the month. We've got three more more Saturdays left in Confederate History Month. we got at least a half a dozen more guests that are already booked. I mean, we are full to the brim, and it's going to be good, good, good stuff as we focus on the southern aspect of our identity uh, at least for those of us here. And I know a lot of people, I mean, you look at the people who support and listen to this program, I mean, it's, it's. I don't even know if it's a 50-50 split because the South is still only 13 states, 13 stars on the flag anyway, and then, you know, all of the states from which we receive support, I don't even know if we started out as a, as a Southern show. We're still a Southern show, but in terms of where our support is drawn from, I mean, it's certainly uh, well, across th- the country and around the world. So, uh, But for whether you're Southern or not, a lot of Southern sympathizers from outside of Dixie, and they're tuned in tonight. Well, they well, love Confederate History Month. We're a three-legged stool, like uh, Cranmer said. We have, uh, but our three legs are we're pro-Christian, we're pro-South, and we're pro-White. That's it. That is that is the uh, the, the tripod here. And I get more emails about the Confederate History Month series, and not just from people in the South, that's the point, uh, than any other thing that we do throughout the broadcast calendar. And so many people, this year and every year, this year especially so, have sent music in that they want to have played. So tonight, of course, with it being Easter weekend, we're playing some of the gospel stuff. We'll get back to some of the more period music uh, from the 19th century in the uh, next uh, three weeks, and then it's back to business as usual in May. After two months of special series, March Around the World and Confederate History Month, but uh, still a lot of that good stuff. You're going to hear music, you're going to hear great guests, great content. But let's talk now about the arrest of Donald Trump. All of our guests this month are going to be Southern-themed outside of Brett McAtee, who's on to bring the Easter message tonight. He's an honorary Southerner anyway. 
That's right. Uh, up in Michigan. Uh, and the pastor of a brick-and-mortar church still to this day. They've attacked him for being uh, someone who shares our beliefs. They've uh, come after him. He's been in the Associated Press in USA Today, and he's still got his congregation. He still shepherds his flock up there at the brick-and-mortar church uh, in Charlotte, Michigan. Not Charlotte, but Charlotte. Faithful churches that are brick-and-mortar are rare got one indeed, right there. but they do exist and. Brett McAtee is proof. Christ the King Reformed Church, Pastor Brett McAtee. And you can listen to them online, as Michael Hill does and as the Hamblins do. And we'll be saying hello to Brett from all of them a little bit uh, later here in the third hour. Brad Griffin, though, wrote, I think, all that needs to be said about the Trump arrest. Uh, Brad writes, uh, the country is a joke. It has been a joke for a long time now. At this point, the only question is, how much more are we going to put up with? When will the breaking point come? Just in the last two weeks, you had a so-called trans man target and shoot up a Christian school in Nashville. The, cho- the shooter was portrayed as the real victim by the media. Madonna announced she was holding a concert to stand uh, with the 2S LGBTQIA plus community in Nashville. The president refused to stand with the Christian community or to even acknowledge what happened, except to renew his push for gun control. Drag queens performed at the Country Music Television Awards in Nashville last week, Bud Light began to push transgenderism. Ricky Vaughn has been convicted in his federal trial for making memes of the 2016 election. And finally, you got Trump, who's been charged in, a, in, in Manhattan, arrested and charged in Manhattan for 34 counts of felony. Uh, and, you know, look, obviously Trump's a mixed, uh, mixed bag. But it's hard to see this collectively. And everything I just rattled off, that's just the, the last two weeks of things that have been going on. Is anything other than an attempt to provoke Trump supporters by rubbing their nose in it? Donald Trump isn't wrong about that. Brad continues, real or imagined, the people have lost their minds about Trump. They see him as a representative of people like us. He's a fascist. He's a white supremacist. His supporters are all a bunch of insurrectionists. They've said it a million times. They uh, really have been trying to get him for years now. But this is a real milestone in our national decline, Keith. Sure, it's just another data point in the same, uh, the same downward slope of our democracy with a capital D. But until now, a former president and a leading presidential candidate have never been arrested. So we're officially a third world country now. This is what happens in Latin America or Africa. And I don't think Trump is the same person today. Brad Griffin called him blump for dump uh, during the, uh, uh, the, the Trump administration years when he was just a lazy guy. He wasn't an ideologue. He just wanted to be in power. He wanted to be liked. He wanted to be famous. But Trump himself, as well as his supporters, which we've talked about so much, have truly been radicalized by this whole ordeal. He's over at Truth Social, screaming in all caps these days. And Trump supporters, as we mentioned, has also, also come a very long way since 2018. Far more open to the desirability of a national divorce. Alvin Bragg is further moving the needle for us there, as will very soon Fannie Willis. And Donald Trump has never been more useful than he is today. Fannie Willis, for those of you not in the know, is the attorney general for Fulton County, Georgia. That's where Atlanta is. Uh, one of the counties. That- one, of, one of the counties that it's in. But see, all of these different, uh, you know, there, there's going to be a prosecution in D.C. There's going to be a prosecution somewhere else, I guarantee you. And this is intentional to basically keep Donald Trump off balance and to have... A a trump card, uh, no pun intended, in the left's deck should he win the election in 2024. They will keep all these balls in the air, and they will, you know, they are guaranteed to get convictions in these places, okay? And there's a reason for that, which I will go into in just a moment. 
But see, it's the de-whitening of America. We have institutions that were created by the founding fathers basically for the white people that were in charge of things back when this nation was founded. Now, <clears throat> Alvin Bragg is black. The judge up there is Puerto Rican. Both of them are affirmative action beneficiaries. Uh, Alvin Bragg would never have gone to Harvard Law School were he not black and were he not the benefit of affirmative action. He may have gone to law school somewhere, but he would not be at the t pinnacle of the profession uh, where he can get a position like the one he has to commit mischief in. Same thing for this judge. These people are the beneficiaries of a anti-white regime called affirmative action. We'll get into more of this after these words from our sponsor. The Honorable Cause of Free South is a collection of 12 essays written by Southern Nationalist authors. The book explores topics such as what is the Southern nation, what is Southern nationalism, and how can we achieve a free and independent Dixie. The Honorable Cause answers questions on our own terms. The book invites readers to understand for themselves why a free and independent Dixie is both preferable and possible. The book pulls in some of the biggest producers of pro-South content, including James Edwards, the host and creator of The Political Cesspool, and Wilson Smith, author of Charlottesville Untold, Arkansas congressional candidate and activist Neil Kumar, host and creator of the Dissident Mama podcast, Rebecca Dillingham, author of A Walk in the Park, My Charlottesville Story, Identity Dixie's Patrick Martin, and yours truly, Michael Hill, founder and president of the League of the South, as well as several other authors. The Honorable Cause is available now at Amazon.com. Former Sheriff Richard Mack recounts in his book the proper role of law enforcement, how he came to realize while working as a beat cop how wrong the all-too-common orientation of police officers is when they think of their job as being to write tickets and arrest people. Richard Mack tells of his personal transformation from by-the-number cop to constitution-conscious defender of citizen safety and freedoms. Learn what it really means to serve and protect. Purchase your copy at CSPOA.org. That's CSPOA.org. Do you know what is great about America? Ask an Immigrant. Ask an Immigrant is a new podcast dedicated to helping Americans, especially our youth, value, appreciate, and be grateful for the freedoms we have here in America. Join host Lydia Wallace-Nuttle as she interviews immigrants from around the world to discover their inspiring personal stories about why they came to America. To learn more about why America is the most prosperous, greatest country in the world, download the Loving Liberty app or go to lovingliberty.net. I have found a friend in Jesus, he's everything to me. He's the fairest of 10,000 to my soul. The lily of the valley, in him alone I see. All I need to cleanse and make me fully whole. In sorrow he's my comfort, in trouble he's my stay. He tells me every care on him to Oh, he will never, never leave me, nor yet forsake. 
take me here while I live by faith and do his blessed will. Oh, wall of fire about me, I've nothing now to fear. With this manna, he my hungry soul shall fill. Then sweeping up to glory, I'll see his blessed face where rivers of delight shall ever If you know the songs, folk, uh, sing along tonight, this Easter weekend. James Edward, Keith Alexander, uh, the great We Are Back. Uh, so, Keith, what you had here in the last week since our last show, uh, right around the time of our last show, I guess, uh, Blue State America arrested the president of Red State America. It's full-on third-world banana republic here, and for whatever flaws Trump had, and they were legion, he has gotten us to a point that we would not have been at without him had we continued to play the Bush versus Clinton, lesser of two evils. I mean, and there really wasn't a lesser in, in that scenario. We're at a totally different place. The Republican base is at a totally different place than it is now racially without Trump. And what I really loved about this arrest is that the trial doesn't even begin until the Iowa caucuses, basically. I think they're supposed to begin the trial in December. Uh, which is just a few weeks before the Iowa caucus, and then we don't know when the Atlanta trial will begin because that that indictment is imminent, and then most likely he'll be indicted in D.C. as well, if not elsewhere, Keith. Well, one thing you can be sure of is that he'll be found guilty wherever in Blue State America, and I guess Georgia now qualifies as Blue State America because of the pernicious influence of the Atlanta uh, metropolitan area. Uh, so that shows you that we no longer have a functioning jury, trial by jury system. Our basic uh, rights uh, as accused people in America now have been stolen from us. Why and how? By diversity. Look at the two affirmative action diversity hires that are in charge of the prosecution up in New York. You have Alvin Bragg, a black guy who obviously is not smart enough to really... In fact, I doubt that he's really smart enough to go to law school. I, much think, it was less Dare, I think it was V. Dare who had an article this week that he had let out countless, you know, refused to prosecute countless violent and vicious felons, you know, murderers, rapists, etc. If I'm if I remember correctly, I mean certainly people with an extensive hardcore well, rap see, sheet. Well, see, he can't think abstractly. Neither can this judge. Another affirmative action hire, another non-white person, who got into uh, his position, got into law school because of affirmative action. Neither one of these guys were, as far as I know, law review candidates or anything. You used to pick your judges based on who was scholarly, who was able to write, who had the mental capability to think abstractly and objectively. On the other hand, Bragg and Marchand have both shown that they're simply partisans. They want to dispense, you know, they are going through the motions of having a trial, but basically when they see Donald Trump's race, when they see the color of his skin, that's all that they need to know in order to bring down a guilty verdict against him. This is what American justice has devolved into 
under the left and under the Jewish-driven liberalism that seems to uh, have overtaken blue state America. Obviously, it was engaging in a little bit of hyperbole to say that he let off murderers and rapists. But here's the here's the true story. Alvin Bragg has been criticized for his soft on crime policies that have left many career criminals back out onto the street to terrorize New Yorkers. His team has arrested Donald Trump. And despite after spending months going after Trump, Bragg's team has failed to take down some of NYC's worst repeat offenders this is uh who's who's writing this it, it wasn't me this is the new york post i think what is this well, it's just a screenshot <laughs> well anyway i believe it's from the new york post uh including people with a hundred plus arrests including harold gooding michelle mckelly and jamel pringle and of course gooding he has more than 70 arrests just for theft alone uh, so on and so forth. So they, well, just... they, they, these are not close cases, folks. Basically, Alvin Bragg is not qualified to be a lawyer. I didn't see any uh, suggestion that he had a uh, you know a superior intellect. He's not 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 been on the law review, not things like that, as far as I can tell. And this is what we're left with. We've got people that will not you know they just cannot pass muster that are in positions of power and authority, and they're just. He's a George Soros candidate. He got over a million dollars from Soros, reportedly, in order to finance his campaign. This is a leftist takeover, and it's intended to undermine all the principles upon which this nation was founded. Uh, did you see? This is a, a momentary departure, but uh, I'm scrolling through my feed here. You saw where, of course, they removed the Jefferson Davis statue some years ago from Confederate Park in Memphis, which is what we cut our teeth on in defending here back in the mid-2000s. They've now replaced that a monument with an Afro hair pick. <laughs> look at that. That's it. That's in downtown Memphis. That's on what now is called Fourth Bluff Park. You like that? See, this what is... What is that? Tell them what you're looking at. I'm looking at this Afro pick, okay? Uh, <laughs> see, you can't, they, they can't even find a person worthy of veneration they have to get a cultural symbol or something like an afro pick from the united it's something that uh, uh, uh the mac or uh, uh superfly might uh, have uh, in his uh pocket but see this is what white people have been supine they have been basically beaten down they've lost so many times because of jewish domination of the media and of our institutions that they have basically suffered Stockholm Syndrome, and as a result, they're dismantling our heritage. Taking down our statues is just one very, uh, uh, you know, prominent thing that they can do. What they're doing that is much more worrisome and much more damaging is they've corrupted our judicial system with bad judges and bad prosecutors, people that have no business in these positions, that don't have the intellectual firepower to handle the job. And these people hold the fate of our former president and the leading candidate for the Republican Party for the upcoming uh, uh, election, presidential election in 2024, and, 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 in their hands. And why are they going after Trump? Why didn't they go after Bush, who murdered you know, untold numbers of Iraqis? And that's what because, he did. Because, because Bush was think, part of the club, and Donald Trump was an outsider. They think he is our avatar. Whether he is or isn't, they think he is. And that's they have, they, they have decided that he's our avatar, and they're going to take him down by any means 
believe me, I don't know right. what would happen to him if he were to be elected, uh, but they're not going to allow him to if, serve. If, if he is, as you say, convicted. And do, will they go that far? I don't know. I think they certainly want to keep him from winning, and they think that having him under multiple indictments in multiple jurisdictions will probably uh, sour his opportunity. I think he's going to win the Republican nomination. They're no going to pull any punches if they get, if they you know then if, right, let's so say he, he loses, they're going to absolutely bring the hammer down, All right. find him to be. Um, Okay. Uh, guilty, and they're going to put him in jail. Well, they'd have because to they are get... just that mean spirited. Well, I would say that that would be all sorted out by election year twenty twenty four. But my beleaguered libel lawsuit, when at which, uh, in which I was routed at every turn, lasted two years. So the... see, you are another victim of affirmative action. The will of justice people... grinds slowly yeah. but exceedingly fine. Well, you had three judges, a three judge panel, two Jews and one black. Okay, the Jews were left wing Jews. Of course, those are the only type that went wind up being uh, appointed to positions of power and authority in our government. And none of these people felt in the least constrained by stare decisis or right. statutory his, uh, history or, uh, you know, I don't want to be like the like three that. legislators in Tennessee who's making the, the, the murder victims in Nashville all about them being expelled from the legislature. This week. Although that's a silver line. I don't want to make the Trump indictment about me, but if, if it took two, two years for my case to be sorted out, we were uh, ran through like. Uh, <laughs> well, you're going to see Kamala Harris and uh, Joe Biden come down there and try to put as much pressure as they can on the Tennessee legislature to reinstate all right, these people. We're all over the place now. People might not even know what's going on in Tennessee. We'll, we'll tell them about this. But but the, the indictment of Trump, I, I want to revisit a scenario that Patrick Barton laid out in last week's show. Then we'll tell people what's going on in Tennessee. We'll continue it all. Lots going on, folks. The divide is widening. And that's what we want. Your daily Liberty Newswire. You're listening to Liberty News Radio. USA News. I'm Jerry Barmash. Nashville City Council members say they will vote as early as Monday to reinstate Representative Justin Jones. He was one of two Democrats expelled from the Tennessee House for protesting gun violence on the floor after the Nashville school shooting. The Metropolitan Council has 39 members, and 23 have confirmed that they will vote to reinstate him as representative. The FDA approval of an abortion pill has been halted by a federal judge in Texas. Ruling in a lawsuit brought by anti-abortion groups, Trump appointee Judge Matthew Kosmerich issued an order to stop the prescription and distribution of mifepristone nationwide. But that's been stayed to give the government time to appeal, something Attorney General Merrick Garland, calling the decision unprecedented, has already said he'll do. President Biden and Vice President Harris have also vowed to fight the move. A judge in Washington state, meanwhile, has made a conflicting ruling. Such a legal standoff means it's quite likely the matter will end up heading to the Supreme Court. I'm Karen Sloan. There are some positive signs in the economy, but they aren't necessarily translating into positive poll numbers for the president. While unemployment has dropped to 3.5%, President Biden is not receiving any political payoff for that good news. His approval ratings keep falling. American adults generally feel bad about the economy, and the White House can list several reasons why. 
high inflation, the hangover from the pandemic, and the political polarization that leaves Republicans automatically believing the economy is sour under a Democratic president. And that jobless rate is expected to climb this year as well, maybe reaching 5.1% according to the Congressional Budget Office. I'm John Schaefer. The White House will host its annual Easter egg roll on Monday. First Lady Jill Biden is continuing her theme of education for the event. This is USA News. Okay, I'm talking funny because I'm in the witness protection program. I have too much credit card debt and I don't want people to find me. Okay, I'm just kidding. We're going to talk about credit card debt. Right, those plastic things that we all have in our wallet. Are you in your 50s or 60s and you're still carrying around a mound of credit card debt? Wouldn't it be nice to start banking that money and save a little money for retirement down the road? We help people restructure their credit card debt all the time. We show people how they can get out of credit Credit card debt in months, not years. Listen, you'll be carrying around credit card debt for the rest of your life unless you deal with it right now. We offer a free consultation so you can learn how you can finally wipe out your credit card debt and start saving money. Give us a free call right now. Call Debt Solutions Network now. 866-451-3328. 866-451-3328. That's 866-451-3328. Standing on the promises I cannot fall, listening every moment to the Spirit's call, resting in my Savior as my all in all, standing on the promises of Ladies and gentlemen, and it was a wonderful childhood, and uh, I am here as a result of my upbringing. There's no doubt about that. This Easter weekend, you know, when Christmas rolls around, we played that feel-good, fun Christmas music all the month of December, really the last week of November as well. Uh, But uh, Easter weekend, we roll out those Southern Gospel hymns. I hope you're enjoying it tonight, even if you can't relate like I can. I hope you're enjoying it. Keith, uh, Patrick Martin laid out a scenario last week, and the scenario is that he was thinking that Donald Trump might refuse to even go and endure the injustice of, of being indicted, but he did go and he did surrender in that way. But now if he's found guilty, uh, if, if the time comes where he has to go and face some sentencing, uh, Patrick laid out this scenario, unlikely, but something's going to kick this thing off. Let's say Trump refuses to go to jail refuses to report to prison, and he hunkers in Mar-a-Lago, and DeSantis refuses to extradite him. Now, that's fanciful, I'll admit. But something, listen, all of this is, again, further radicalizing half the country even more than they already were. And they had come a long way, believe me. So I, I don't know. I mean, it's it's all possible. Anything is possible now. We are at the... 
We're at a very interesting juncture, I think, in American history. I, I, certainly they are trying to take out the people that they see as threats, but uh, what damage are they doing to the stability of this whole operation in doing so? Well, you know, the scenario that you just put forth, that would be a giant step towards Well, that would secession. be just about everything. That, that yeah, would be like the silver uh, bullet. Yeah, yeah uh, that, they, would have, they would probably send troops into Florida or a military mission to capture him. And that would be like a Fort Sumter moment, basically. Yeah, it's probably, again, if it's too good to be true, it normally is. Although I do know half the country is totally at odds with the other half. And something's going to be the thing that lights this powder keg. And it, it, it could well, be that, and it is, could be this. Well, the problem is the other side from us has the Jewish power and influence behind it. They have the money, and they have the institutions. They have the institutional power now. We have numbers, but we don't have power or wealth backing us up. And, they're, you know, the elites basically are telling us, to heck with you little people in red state America. You don't rule us. We rule that's right. you. And that's what is going that, And that's that, where it is now. That's where it's been for a long time. Yeah, and the thing is we didn't know it until we be. had, like you said, somebody like Trump come along and upset the apple cart. Somebody who was not a political insider, who is not, as uh, George Wallace said about the Republican well, Democrat Party, that uh, the difference between them is the difference between Tweedledum and Tweedledee. God works in mysterious ways, using a, a secular Yankee to be his instrument, uh, potentially. Let, let's read what Paul Craig Roberts uh, has, has said about the Trump indictment, what Trump's indictment means. Paul Craig Roberts, who was on the show uh, again earlier this year, I'll read this quickly, Keith, and let you respond. President Donald Trump, Paul Craig Roberts writes, was arraigned on the basis of sealed charges. It is unclear why those charges were sealed. Imagine arresting someone on the basis of charges kept from the person. It happens in America as it did in Stalin's Soviet Union. Perhaps the charges have been kept secret so that the media can defame President Trump by reporting that his arrest is related to his alleged involvement in hush money payment and subsequent cover-up involving a purported affair with adult film star Stormy Daniels, quote-unquote, as Sputnik International reported. But Trump was not arrested for paying extortion money to a porn star who saw her opportunity for extortion when Trump announced as a presidential candidate. No affair has been proven. It is ordinary for people being extorted to pay up in order to avoid the controversy that prostitutes would love to turn into fact. In other words, it's not a proof of guilt. The basic charge against Trump is an orchestration. A black Democrat, this is Paul Craig Roberts writing, a black Democrat New York prosecutor, rumored to be a protege of Trump-hating George Soros, one of America's worst enemies, claims that Trump committed a misdemeanor, not a felony, by reporting a payment as a legal expense billed to his company instead of reporting it as a campaign contribution. This is merely the prosecutor's opinion, an opinion successfully fed to a grand jury. Paul Craig Roberts continues, and this is key. And this is what Sam Dixon has said almost to the word. It is well known, Craig Roberts writes, that grand juries are putty in a prosecutor's hands. This is in one of his most recent columns at paulcraigroberts.org. In law, this would be a misdemeanor handled with a fine, but the prosecutor also assumes that the payment was intentionally misreported in order to mask a campaign contribution as a corporate expenditure. This assumption by the prosecutor is what turns the charge into a federal felony. In other words, it is all supposition of the prosecutor. The question I can't answer is how a state prosecutor can try a person for a federal crime. Roberts continues, the Democrats have gotten away with Russiagate, false impeachments, Insurrection Gate, Documents Gate, covering up Hillary Clinton's felonies. 
suppressing and censoring the damning information on Hunter Biden's laptop, stolen elections, and a large variety of other violations of law and due process. They know the prostitutes will continue to support their seven-year-old attack on Donald Trump. Republicans are not fighters. Their control of the House of Representatives is a limited power. Moreover, the Republican establishment wants rid of Trump as much as the Democrats do. Trump is the choice of ordinary men and women who are powerless. Keith, and that's exactly what you just said. South American leaders have responded by pointing out that the arrest of a former president means that the U.S. is now in the same category as banana republics where each successor president arrests his predecessor. I love that line. I'm going to read it again. America is now in the same category as banana republics where each successor president arrests his predecessor. The arrest of Trump has the single purpose of establishing for all time that the American elite who rule will not tolerate a president who represents the people and not themselves. This and only this is what the indictment of Donald Trump is all about. Well, several points here. Okay, first of all, sealed indictment. The whole purpose of having the indictment process and the uh, taking things before a grand jury is to unseal it, to make sure that the public gets to know what's going on. That's what a writ of habeas corpus is. You can't, according to the Constitution and the Bill of Rights, have somebody prosecuted, keep them in jail, not tell them what they're charged with indefinitely. You have, they have a right to ask for a writ of habeas corpus. What are you holding me for? Well, they're ignoring that. They're ignoring the directives of our founding fathers and our founding documents that have governed our criminal justice system since the beginning of our uh, nation. Now, also, uh, we were talking about uh, the fact that we have a state prosecutor bring a prosecution for a violation of federal law. That's improper. Federal law prosecutions are supposed to be handled by federal attorney generals. Uh, they have one in every district court, federal district court in the United States. But for some reason, they decided that that guy was not as malleable as Mr. Bragg. Mr. Bragg is not an intellectual. He's not a top student. He went to Harvard not because he made good grades or was a smart person. He went there totally because he filled a quota for black people. He's a big, fat nincompoop, okay? And we have guys like that who don't have, they're not only intellectually deficient, they are morally deficient. They don't care what the law requires. They're going to damn the torpedoes full speed ahead and prosecute Donald Trump in front of a judge who has the same outlook, a judge who gave money to the Democrats and to Joe Biden in the last election that should disqualify him from being the judge in this case just like alvin bragg's partisanship and his uh george soros affiliation should disqualify him but that's not going to happen up in blue state america today and that's why red state america needs a divorce that's why we need to be separate from them because we can no longer trust these people to play by the rules, well, quite frankly. And, you know, that, it's just nothing that, uh, you know, Alvin Bragg and Marshawn, the judge, are not people that, you know, really are capable of handling their duties. They are sheer partisans. They were chosen for their positions because of partisanship. And we now see, you know, the mask is off. 
there's no longer any pretense that somehow they're, there's in, no pretense they're following of this. the rules. There's no pretense of this, Keith. You cannot vote. You cannot legislate your way out of this. You have all of these state uh, houses that are legislating against the gender mutil- mutilation of, of, of minors. That's what's happening and in Tennessee, you, 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 and Biden and Kamala Harris are coming down to try to reverse that. We'll tell you exactly what they're coming down for when we come back. But uh, you can't vote your way out of it. What happens when you vote for somebody they don't want? They indict him. They arrest him. They very well may send him to prison. You can't legislate your way out of it when you do. A judge in some foreign jurisdiction overturns the will of the people uh, or the will of the representatives of that state. We'll talk a little more about that when we come back. Hey there, TPC family. This is James Edwards, your host of The Political Cesspool. Folks, I want you to subscribe to the American Free Press, America's last real newspaper. Against all odds, AFP has and continues to publish a populist, independent print newspaper with an unparalleled track record. Founded by a dedicated group of experienced patriots, AFP pulls no punches and tackles the most controversial and pressing issues facing America from an America First perspective. I've worked with the American Free Press since even before the beginning of TPC. Now that's something. You can subscribe to the print edition by visiting AmericanFreePress.net today or simply pick up a handy digital edition subscription. However you do it, subscribe to the American Free Press, America's last real newspaper, by visiting AmericanFreePress.net or by calling 1-88-699-NEWS, AmericanFreePress.net. True Passover versus Easter. The Catholic Church and most denominations follow the Jewish Passover. Here is the Jewish tradition. The Passover takes place 14 days after the new moon, after the equinox. But what does God say? In Isaiah 1 verse 14, quote, Your new moon feasts and your appointed festivals I hate with all my being. Unquote. Now notice God's word versus Jewish tradition. Quote, in the first month, on the 14th day of the month, at twilight, is the Lord's Passover, unquote. That's from Leviticus 23, verse 5. God's year begins on the spring equinox. Passover is always on the 14th day of God's year, the 14th day after the equinox. The Sunday after the Passover is Resurrection Sunday. None of this is about fertility, which is exactly what Easter is all about. Easter bunny and eggs, fertility rites are paganism. Gentlemen, whether you have or have not yet received the gift of belief, I would ask you to stay tuned through the conclusion of tonight's live broadcast when Pastor Brett McAtee of the Brick and Mortar Church, I tell you, that uh, is certainly a <laughs> thing that is rare in this day and age to have a man of faith who is also uh, not ashamed of of his patrimony, and, and Pastor Brett has been on with us 
many times over the years now to talk about that reconciliation of racial identity and spiritual identity. Uh, but he is a mainstay at uh, our show nearest to Easter and Christmas. And he is, of course, the pastor of Christ the King Reformed Church in Charlotte, Michigan. Also pastor of the church in South Carolina before his uh, current stop. So uh, there's that. But uh, I look forward to receiving his message in the third hour, our last hour before Resurrection Day. So Keith, we're talking about in the last segment. You can't vote your way out of this. You can't legislate your way out of it. And I want to get back to that in one moment, but I want to say one more thing about uh, faith before Pastor Brett comes on. Then we're going to let you tell us what's going on here in Tennessee this week that has made national headlines vis-a-vis this cultural and uh, national divide. Uh, But with regard to Easter and all of this, uh, certainly rarely are white Christians encouraged by what they see happening in American churches today. Formerly decent and faithful churches and major denominations are falling like dominoes, atop, uh, adopting unbiblical policies and beliefs harmful to God's people in general and hostile to white Christians in particular. And this uh, cues the time where we bring out the tried and true uh, quote from A.W. Tozer, who put it that, quote, religion today is not transforming people, rather it is being transformed by the people. It is not raising the moral level of society. It is descending to society's own level and congratulating itself that it has scored a victory because society is smilingly accepting its surrender. That is one of the all-time quotes as far as I'm concerned. But I will assure you that there does exist that faithful remnant of white Christians in this country who are godly. You heard from one already tonight. You'll hear from another in the next hour, uh, Michael Hill and Brett McAtee, respectfully. Bible-believing Christians who love and advocate for our people. I'm one of them. I know many. And for us, there is no contradiction between the two propositions, no inconsistency or conflict whatsoever. In fact, they are complementary to the point that not only can you believe a Christian and love your race, not only should you be a Christian and love your race, but if you are a Christian, you will love your race. You will feel the same willingness to sacrifice yourself for your people that Paul did when he wrote, quote, for I could wish that myself were accursed from Christ for my brethren, my kinsmen according to the flesh that's romans 9 3 you'll feel the same imperative to protect your genetic line as abraham did when he told his servant but thou shalt go into my country into my kindred and take a wife unto my son isaac genesis 24 4 and you'll fear the displeasure of god who said through paul quote but if any provide not for his own and especially those of his own house he hath denied the faith and is worse then an infidel, First Timothy 5, 8. Uh, food for thought this Easter weekend. Keith, Brett McAdee's going to uh, come in and give us that Easter message in the third hour. But first, there is major national news that correlates with all of the stuff going on. This uh, stuff with Trump, the national divide, the, the uh, growing number of people uh, beginning to entertain the notion of secession. And it happened right here in Tennessee with our own state legislature this week. Break it down. What happened? Why three members uh, were up uh, to be expelled from the House? Why two of the sitting members of the Tennessee State Legislature were expelled uh, from government this week? What's going on in Tennessee? What's going on in Nashville? Big stuff. And it all stems from the transgendered attack on that Christian school. Right. We're on the front lines of the culture war here at Tennessee and Kentucky because our legislatures have passed laws preventing underage children 
from deciding to change their uh, sex as assigned at birth, okay? Uh, <clears throat> this is what this is all about. They're trying to tell you that uh, the protest at the state capitol in Tennessee was about gun control laws. That's an afterthought. The people that showed up, and they were basically teenagers, young white people, they are the woke generation, like the Pepsi generation of old. They are the people that are supporting the LBGTQ, whatever uh, additional letters and numbers they have decided to tack onto that. I don't know. Ask Madonna. But nonetheless, they were trying their best to, uh, you know, let the state legislature know how unhappy they were that they struck a blow for common sense and said we are not going to permit in Tennessee children to have sex reassignment surgeries until they're at least arguably capable of, you know, making an adult decision. And the You know, 18 is the lowest threshold for adulthood as far as I know, but that's what Kentucky and Tennessee did, and that's what was being protested. Do not be misled. And it looked very similar to what they said was an attack on our democracy, the so-called January 6th insurrection. They were doing the exact same thing. You know what the media called it? Exactly what our democracy looks like. And that should happen every day. And you had three members of the Tennessee state legislature join in that protest, and they interrupted a legislative session. And Well, there's one good thing to say about the Tennessee legislature. It's majority Republican, and they've had a belly full of the Democrats. The only Democrats, basically, are in a few college towns like Knoxville and Nashville and then Memphis, which is the only majority black city in Tennessee. So you had two black guys, one from Nashville, one from Memphis. I don't know what their sexual preference I, is, but if, if they were not homosexual, they missed a wonderful I, I, opportunity. I got to play this. I don't want to sully the Easter broadcast by playing this, but I must. So here. Well, let me and, add this first. And the yeah, woman was from Knoxville. And she was the one that got off on one vote. She apparently what had she one do to, friend. What, what, was she, what would the woman from Knoxville do to a freight train? Uh, she would make him uh, take a dirt road. <laughs> she skated by one vote. The other two who were black uh, Democrats from well, Nashville. Of course, the and national media is trying to say that she got out because she was white and because all these people were racist. No, it's not. She had one friend in the Republican uh, uh, caucus that decided to vote for her and keep her from being kicked out. But a state legislature expelling two sitting members of its governing body is, is pretty profound in Tennessee. It only happened three times before in the whole history of the state. Well, this type of disruption with bullhorns and basically bringing all the business of the state legislature to a grinding halt, uh, that is pretty rare, too. Now, listen to this guy, one of the guys that was expelled, and Anthony Cumia, who has been on this show, very nationally renowned Anthony Cumia caught all sorts of hell for coming on this show. He said this guy sounds like an MLK cover band. Now, you will hear this, and if you ever want to know what LARPing is, live action role play, listen to this guy who's in his, what, his 20s? Is a member of the Tennessee State House who was Martin, just Martin expelled. Luther King did the same thing. He was just mocking uh, what other black, uh, black Baptist preachers, preachers Yeah, Listen to this guy. This is what he said right before he was expelled from the House. This is... This is this is. Is this one from Memphis? Yeah, it, it is. is. And here his name is what? Um, Justin Pearson. Pearson. It was a sad day on Saturday. All hope seemed to be lost. 
Representatives were thrown out of the state house. Democracy seemed to be at its end. Seemed like the NRA and gun lobbyists might win. But oh, that was good news for us. I don't know how long this Saturday in the state of Tennessee might last. But oh, we have good news, folks. We've got good news that Sunday always comes. Resurrection is a promise. And it is a prophecy. It's a prophecy that came out of the cotton fields. It's a prophecy that came out of the lynching tree. It's a prophecy that still lives in each and every one of us in order to make the state of Tennessee the place that it ought to be. And so I've still got hope because I know we are still here and we will never quit. All right, so he's been lynched because he was expelled from a governing body for interrupting the legislative. He was thrown <laughs> back in the cotton field. Yeah, See, all they, this type of stuff. That's why they say. How long? Not long. Yeah, right. Can you do it? Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> you got to rhyme. I, if, you're, I, if you're not I, rhyming, you're not jiving. I don't know if I'm going to make it there with you, folks, but I, you know, all of that type of stuff. See, this is, you know, he's he, he's possibly angling to be a black preacher himself if, if, if you uh in fact he probably is if you get a large building in an area that is turned black in memphis it invariably becomes a church and you can rhyme and, and talk with that sort of right and perspire and you, and you get um uh, you give away to the ladies in the church your uh perspiration soaked uh handkerchief that you uh mop your brow with that's what uh <laughs> see what uh Having like, a church look, is the only business you can go into where the only inventory you need is hot air. And that's Trump is indicted. Like is People are being thrown out of, of state legislature. I'm telling you, though, this thing is 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 further moving in the direction of a call it what you will national divorce. You can call it you call it whatever well, you want left, if you so choose. The left is doing us a great favor with all of this stuff by trying to make sexual depravity and sexual immorality a civil rights. They've gone a bridge too far. The people then, that don't see the connection between the evil of the left and the civil rights movement or the evil of the left and the feminist movement and things like this. Well, it's, it's, they it's just suffrage, cannot, suffrage. I mean, you know, it, there was the meme suffered. about Susan B. Anthony. It was some man dressed as a woman thanking Susan B. Anthony for giving him the right to vote. She's like, what? I mean, this is, but this is the natural extension of that but but the, the situation here joe biden and kamala harris met with these two black members of the tennessee state house who were expelled this week but not even a statement in, in sympathy for the christians who were no, they're coming down to steamroll the state legislature this is federal usurpation of the law and the federal system stay tuned folks and let's see what happens <laughs> we'll find out together uh one way or another Thank you, Keith Alexander, Pastor Brett McAdee, bringing us the good news of Jesus' resurrection in the third and final hour. And, Michael the, and the bad news of the Biden administration. <laughs> well, I don't know if he'll cover that tonight, but he might. We'll see. We'll find out next. Are you a native son or daughter of the South who pleads the stars and bars? Someone not born in Dixieland, but who is a Johnny Reb at heart and looking for a place to shop that promotes Southern heritage? Well, your search is over. Dixie Republic is the place to go for all things celebrating the Confederacy and promoting Southern pride. Inside the log cabin, just outside Traveler's Rest, South Carolina, 
Dixie Republic has t-shirts, hats, videos, flags, books, belt buckles, and some of the best mouth-watering barbecue sauce that will ever touch your lips. There's just about everything you want honoring the South at Dixie Republic. Well, you say that South Carolina's a bit too far for you to drive? Have no fear, my friend. All of this is just a mouse click away. Go online at www.dixierepublic.com. Your home for all things celebrating the Confederacy and promoting Southern pride. Is there a count somewhere? You're listening to Resolution Radio. 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 ResolutionRDO.com. You've made a serious investment in protecting yourself and your family. You've purchased the gun, the ammunition, the training, and even secured a license to carry in your state. You know the Constitution and don't believe you should have to pay for a right that you already have, as written in the Second Amendment, but you are law-abiding. Now you are considering the legal defense options you should have if you ever have to use a firearm. Self-Defense Fund is a comprehensive litigation membership backing you on appeals, legal expenses, court costs, and more. Up to $1 million per incident and unlimited attorney costs per member. Discover selfdefensefund.com for yourself. Any weapon, any state, any time. You're listening to the Political Cess Pool on ResolutionRDO.com. Call and listen now at 607-203-5423. That's 607-203-5423. You're listening to the Liberty News Radio Network, and this is the Political Cess Pool. The Political Cess Pool. Known across the South and worldwide as the South's foremost populist conservative radio program. And here to guide you through the murky waters of the political cesspool is your host, James Edwards. of our program before Resurrection Day, Easter Sunday, belongs to Pastor Brett McAtee, the husband of a wife without peer, father of three children who walk as heroes in the land. He is the author of Iron Inc., which is committed to thinking God's thoughts after him. He has pastored Christ the King Reformed Church in Charlotte, Michigan, for over 20 years. He is our official TPC clergyman, and he is with us again here on this Holy Week. And Pastor Brett, it is so great to have you. Thank you, James. It's good of uh, you to ask me to be here. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed, brother. And share us the good news of what happened at Calvary so many years ago. Very good. So here we are are on the cusp now of uh, resurrection morning. And I thought that we would look at uh, the text in 1 Corinthians 15, which 
is a classic text about the resurrection, uh, and then look at the resurrection and, and the proper way to understand it, and maybe improper ways that we shouldn't be thinking about it. Uh, we go to there in 1 Corinthians 15, the Holy Spirit says through the Apostle Paul, he says, now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. And by this gospel, you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise, you have believed in vain. For what I received, I passed on to you as of primary importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and he appeared to Cephas. And then the 12, and after that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. And last of all, he appeared to me also as to one born out of time. So as we look at the resurrection, let's tee, tee it up by looking at some of the great premises of the Bible. Um, the great premises of the Bible that have to be in place to understand the resurrection is that God is real, uh, and God is holy, man is a sinner, uh, man as a sinner is accountable to God, man has sought to displace God for himself as God in his sin, and because of that, God intends to judge men for this high-handed rebellion, and the only place that man can find safety from that judgment is in the judgment of God that fell on Christ there at Calvary that God is satisfied with us because he is satisfied with his judgment that fell on Christ for our sins is attested to and is proven by the resurrection. In other words, the resurrection is the proof positive that God receives Christ's death as payment for the penalty of our sins. Scriptures say, for example, that Christ was delivered up for our trespasses, our sins, and raised for our justification. The scripture teaches that because of Christ's death and resurrection, there is therefore now no condemnation, no judgment of guilt for those who are in Christ Jesus. So what we see here is no bodily resurrection of Christ, and so no possible sense of relief from the inescapable sense of God's just wrath and opposition to us as sinners. The resurrection then, is instrumental to the Christian faith. And without the, the real live resurrection of Jesus Christ from the doldrums of the grave, there is no such thing as Christianity. And anything that goes by the name Christianity that doesn't believe in a physical resurrection of Christ arising from the tomb is not Christianity at all, but it's something that's just cobbed the name. Of the import of the bodily resurrection uh, to Bible-believing Christians, there is little doubt. In, in the passage in Corinthians 15, Paul elsewhere can turn to the importance of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ over and over again. In verse 17 of that same chapter, 1 Corinthians 15, Paul can write, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and if Christ hath not risen, then void is our preaching, and void also is your faith. Again in 17, and if Christ has not risen, vain is your faith, and you are yet in your sins. Then also those who have fallen asleep in Christ did perish. If in this life, Paul says, we have hope in Christ only, of all men we are to be pitied. The early church fathers understand this. Um, they 
contained the same kind of reasoning and what they had to say. There was a chap named Chrysostom, an early church father. Uh, he was called the golden-tongued. Uh, he was known as one of the greatest preachers in, in church history. He had this to say about the resurrection. He said, for in what were the disciples confident? In the shrewdness of their reasonings? Nay, of all men, they were the most unlearned. But in the abundance of their possessions? Nay, they had neither staff nor shoes. But in the distinction of their race? Nay, they were mean and of mean ancestors. In the greatness of their country? Nay, they were of obscure places. In their own numbers? Nay, they were not more than 11 and they were scattered abroad. But in their master's promises? What kind of promises? For if he were not risen again, neither would those be likely to be trusted by them. And how should they endure a frantic people? For if the chief of them endured not the speech of a woman keeping the door, referring to Peter, and if all the rest who on seeing Christ bound were scattered abroad, how should they have thought to run to the ends of the earth and plant a faint tale of a resurrection? For if he stood not at a woman's threat, and they not so much the sight of bonds, how were they able to stand against kings and rulers and nations, where were swords and girdians and furnaces and 10,000 deaths by day, unless they had the benefit of the power and grace of him who rose again? Such miracles and so many were done, and none of these things did the Jews regard, but crucified him who had done them. And were they likely to believe these men at their mere word about a resurrection? These things are not. They are not so. But the might of him who rose again brought them to pass. And so Chrysostom understood the importance and the necessity of the resurrection. It is the linchpin uh, for the biblical Christian. It is, it is the, the foundation upon which he builds his whole faith. Many years later, another minister after Chrysostom, a chap named John Owen, he likewise talked about the importance of this resurrection. This truth of the resurrection, Owen said, is so important that nothing in the religion can exist without it. The apostles diligently confirmed it in the first churches, and for the same reason it was attacked by Satan and denied and opposed by many. This was done in two ways. First, by an open denial of any such thing. How can some of you say that there is no resurrection from the dead? And, and second, those who did not dare attack it directly expounded in an allegorical way, saying the resurrection has already taken place. Well, Paul's right there, ladies and gentlemen, and uh, Pastor Brett McAtee will continue his Resurrection Weekend message right after this. The Honorable Cause of Free South is a collection of 12 essays written by Southern Nationalist authors. The book explores topics such as what is the Southern nation, what is Southern nationalism, and how can we achieve a free and independent Dixie? The Honorable Cause answers questions on our own terms. The book invites readers to understand for themselves why a free and independent Dixie is both preferable and possible. The book pulls in some of the biggest producers of pro-South content, including James Edwards, the host and creator of The Political Cesspool, and Wilson Smith, author of Charlottesville Untold, Arkansas congressional candidate and activist Neil Kumar, host and creator of the Dissident Mama podcast, Rebecca Dillingham, author of A Walk in the Park, My Charlottesville Story, Identity Dixie's Patrick Martin, and yours truly, Michael Hill, founder and president of the League of the South, as well as several other authors. The Honorable Cause is available now at Amazon.com. Why does the left lie constantly? Because they get spiritual power from lying. The lies come from Satan, the father of lies, John 8, 44. Here's how the political lying process works. Satan provides the beast with a lie. 
then the more they use the lie, the more they reproduce the lie, the more spiritual power they get. Now look, the media is a lie multiplier. And this multiplication gives more evil spiritual power to the beast. That power protects the cells of the beast from prosecution. Why isn't Hillary in prison? She is protected. We must restore our national relationship with God. Truth is sacred in the kingdom. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. Isaiah 9, 6. A message from Christ Kingdom Ministries. Easter weekend, ladies and gentlemen, rare is the guest who can make the creator and host step aside, quieten, and listen, but Pastor Brett McAtee does that every time he appears on this program. You listen to this show, anything that any of our guests have been attacked for, Brett McAtee has sustained and endured and withered those attacks. He is a man of faith and a man of God, and a man who, when he appears on this program, I am all too happy to be just a member of the listening audience. I am thankful to hear his message and the blessings it always brings. Pastor, continue uh, to tell us the Easter story. So we see uh, where we left off that the resurrection is affirmed throughout Scripture. It's affirmed by Chrysostom. It's affirmed by John Owen. Indeed, Owen, as we quoted earlier, says the truth of the resurrection is so important that nothing in religion can exist without it. And then he goes on, as I quoted uh, at the tail end of the last segment, to talk about ways in which the resurrection were, was being denied in the early church. Uh, and he talks about that in 2 Timothy 2.18. And he says that in both cases, not only does not only does the apostle condemn these errors in denying the resurrection, but declares positively that their admission that is, the admission of these errors overthrows the faith and makes the preaching of the gospel vain and useless. So if we do not have a resurrection, again, we do not have Christianity. And if we do not have a very particular resurrection, we do not have Christianity. This evening, following the scriptures then and following 2,000 years of, of godly men who have gone before, uh, we're going to spend just a little bit of time considering the different ways that the modern church today thinks about the resurrection and, and gets it wrong. Um, the premise is as, as Christians, we not only have to affirm the resurrection, but we also have to affirm a, a very particular resurrection, the resurrection that we find in Scripture. Here is one of the ways that the modern churches 
is appealing to the scripture in a boneheaded way. Uh, recently, Andy Stanley at Dallas Theological Seminary said, quote, the foundation of our faith is not the scripture. The foundation of our faith is not the infallibility of the Bible. The foundation of our faith is something that happened in history. And that's something that happened in history, of course, uh, Stanley's referring to is the resurrection. But, of course, what Stanley's doing here is he's trying to rip apart redemption from revelation, the redemption that's provided in the resurrection in Christ. Sure, the foundation of our faith is something that happened in history, that is redemption, but I could not know about redemption apart from revelation. So Stanley introduces a false dichotomy between redemption and revelation. God not only acts, that is the resurrection of Jesus Christ, but he also speaks, that is, he interprets his act, and the interpretation of that act is found in the scriptures. So when Stanley says that we needed to be done with the foundation of Scripture, at that very minute, we've also done away with, with the resurrection, because you can't have the embrace of the resurrection without the embrace of the Scriptures. And so, without trying to be too over the top here, it's, it's just the, the statement by Andy Stanley is an attack on the resurrection of Jesus Christ, even though he thinks he's affirming it. Another way that the church gets it wrong throughout history, and there are going to be lots of people in these kinds of churches tomorrow, is that you find the church treats the uh, resurrection like an Aesop fable. It's something that uh, we're just supposed to get a lesson out of. And this is often pursued, this mindset, by irrational liberal fundamentalists. Um, this is the way, as I said, the large percentage of the church today thinks about the resur re resurrection. They affirm that the resurrection is existentially true, that is, it's subjectively true, though they also go on to say that it's likely false in terms of historical reality. But that's completely contrary to what Paul says in that passage we read at the beginning. He talks about the historical reliability. He brings forth the witnesses. If there was a court setting, he would have called forth the 500 witnesses and say, what did you see? But this way of looking at the resurrection says, well, it's true for me, but it may not be true for you. It's not a historical reality. In this way of thinking, the resurrection, as well as all of Christianity, becomes, as I said, like an Aesop fable. We can learn truth from Aesop fables, but nobody really thinks the fables themselves are historically true. We may say that there's much to be learned from the fox who fooled the crow out of her cheese by falsely flattering her on her singing abilities, but no one really believes that a fox and a crow had a conversation regarding cheese. Many people want to treat the resurrection in just that manner. Yes, yes, the lessons that we've learned from letting the truth of the resurrection impact us are all very, they're very well and good. But let us not get too cheeky in actually believing that, that all this really happened in history. You know, for these types of folks, the resurrection and Christianity in a whole, as a whole, is one giant Aesop fable. There's a chap in history named Emil Bruner. He was one of those uh, chaps. He said things like God and the medium of conceptuality are mutually exclusive. He said God can speak his word to a man even through false doctrine. Uh, Brunner could say all words have only an instrumental value. Neither the spoken words nor their conceptual content are the word itself, but only its framework. Now, those are involved quotes, but what Brunner is telling us with these quotes is, is there's no getting at, no getting to objective truth. And if there's no getting to objective truth, then what we believe is no longer the issue, but only the how we believe, the passion with which we believe, whatever it is that we believe. That this mindset has entered into modern culture is seen everywhere. 
one example of that in a film I like, uh, and some of you no doubt have seen it as well, is the film Serenity. In, in the scene where the Christian pastor of the crew, uh, whose name's Shepherd Book, uh, where he's dying, he grabs Mal, and he says, I don't care what you believe, just believe in it. Well, as your Shepherd Book, I want you to know I, I don't care if you just believe in something. I want to know if what you believe corresponds to what God says you must believe in what God says is true. As for these types of people, for them it's not what is believed about the resurrection that matters in terms of content, but rather what matters is the passion with which one believes whatever content one assigns to the resurrection. Or similarly, what matters is not believing set truths about the resurrection, but rather what matters is having a powerful encounter with an individually defined resurrected Christ that's coming away with a meaningful experience. And so, again, the thrust of this is it's not really that it's the resurrection. It's not really objectively true according to these people, but it's only true for me. We sing it. We sing this mindset in evangelical churches. Many will sing it tomorrow. You ask me how, I know he lives. He lives within my heart. Well, if you talk to somebody with half a brain in their head, they're just going to scorn you if that's how you say you know he lives. He doesn't. Our knowledge of him knowing that he lives is not the fact that he lives within our heart, true as that may be. Our knowledge that we know he lives is in the record of Scripture. It's what God says. God says that Christ was resurrected. That's what we're told in Scripture, and that's what we have to base our confidence in the resurrection on. Now, again, it should be true that Christ lives in our hearts, metaphorically speaking, But that is not the foundation of how we know and how we have confidence in the resurrection. Our confidence in the resurrection is based upon, thus saith the Lord. Uh, Down this line of what I'm talking about, uh, a chap named Curtis White in in a, a literature named Hot Air God can say, what we require of belief is not that it makes sense, but that it be sincere. Clearly, this is not the spirituality of a centralized orthodoxy. It is a sort of workshop spirituality that you can get with a cereal box top in $5. So again, what we're pressing here is that it's not only the resurrection that we have to believe in, but it's a very particular resurrection that's grounded and anchored in the revelation of Jesus Christ as articulated in Scripture. This way of thinking about the resurrection insists that personal experience and individual encounter can do for us what the divine record of redemptive history cannot do for us. Why try to surmount 2,000 years of history in order to find out with precision what God says happened when you can have your own meaningful experience? And so here we see that the objective content of God's revelation in Scripture gives way to a Jesus encounter, an encounter that is each and every person variable. And so we have to anchor our faith in the resurrection and the God's revelation and not just talk about having a personal relationship with Jesus. Unless that Ladies, Jesus... Quick break, Pastor McAtee. Ladies and gentlemen, an important message from Brett McAtee, perhaps the most important we could ever give you this weekend, and we'll be Exposing right back. Exposing corruption. Informing citizens. Pursuing liberty. You're listening to Liberty News Radio. USA News. I'm Jerry Barmish. A number of congressional Democrats want trips taken by Justice Clarence Thomas to be investigated. 
The 16 lawmakers are asking Supreme Court Chief Justice John Roberts to investigate the luxury trips that were given to Justice Clarence Thomas by a major Republican donor. They want Roberts to look into any unethical or potentially unlawful conduct on the part of Thomas. The group said if Roberts doesn't act, Congress will. Thomas, for his part, has said he was told he didn't have to disclose the trips around the world on yachts and private jets owned by billionaire businessman Harlan Crow. I'm John Schaefer. A federal judge in eastern Washington is prohibiting the FDA from pulling a well-known abortion drug off the market. The Seattle Times reports a U.S. district judge issued his ruling on Friday in response to a multi-state lawsuit involving 16 other states. The ruling will keep mefepristone available in those states, too, while the case proceeds. Conservatives have taken to social media criticizing Vice President Kamala Harris for a fiery speech she made condemning Tennessee Republicans who voted to expel two Democrats following gun violence protests on the House floor, Fox News reported. Harris, in one portion of the speech, said loudly, quote, It wasn't about the three of these leaders. It was about who they were representing. It was about whose voices they were channeling. Understand that, unquote. Her boss, President Biden, will visit Northern Ireland and Ireland later this week. Biden will mark the 25th anniversary of the Good Friday Agreement. The peace deal brokered by the U.S. helped end decades of sectarian violence between pro-Ireland Catholics and pro-Britain Protestants. The president will head to Belfast Tuesday to mark the tremendous progress since the signing of the agreement. I'm Dave Collins. Rain suspended play at the Masters. The third round will resume at 8.30 a.m. Eastern. This is USA News. Have you ever picked up a towel set because it felt really soft in the store? But then when you go to use it, it's not very absorbent? That's why MyPillow has developed the MyPillow towels. Towels that work. The six-piece towel set includes two bath towels, two hand towels, and two washcloths. And right now you can receive a six-piece set for only $39.98 with promo code USA. Go to MyPillow.com, click on the radio listener special, and enter promo code USA. Or call 800-951-8175. That's MyPillow.com, promo code USA. If you're a diabetic, we have great news. You can end the painful finger sticks with a new CGM. Plus, they may be covered by Medicare, Medicaid, or private insurance. If you test and inject daily, you may qualify. Call U.S. Med now to learn more. 800-471-7065. 800-471-7065. 800-471-7065. That's 800-471-7065. Pastor Brett McAtee won't mind me relaying this information to him and to all of you as well. When Pastor McAtee comes on, people take notice, not just the members of our listening audience, but our guests as well. Earlier this evening in the first hour, 
uh, Dr. Michael Hill was our guest. When he heard Pastor McAtee was going to be on, he said, it is an honor to be on the same show as Brett McAtee, and please let Pastor McAtee know that I will be tuned in tomorrow morning as I am every morning for his online sermon. Now, Pastor McAtee uh, pastors the brick-and-mortar Christ the King Reformed Church in Charlotte, Michigan. But if you are not a member of uh, a local congregation, if you are looking for a fellowship to which you can belong, nothing substitutes for that in-person fellowship, but uh, you could do much worse than tuning in online at charlottereformed.org. That's C-H-A-R-L-O-T-T-E, charlottereformed.org. And, of course, our good friends uh, Brett, uh, the Hamblins, Rich and Janice, are tuned in tonight and wanted to pass along uh from me to you, uh, hello, and many others. When you come on, I get more requests to say, tell Brett I said hello uh, than just about any guest I can recall. And uh, for good reason, it's a powerful message. A lot of times when you're on, it's more conversational in, in, uh, in, in, uh, over the course of the hour. But when you're on for Christmas and Easter, I, I actually call Brett and I say, you got four segments, 10 minutes each. I'm going to introduce you, and you take the segments and do whatever you want with them. And that's what we do. And so that's what we're doing now. But I did want to relay those messages, uh, Brett. Your message is well-received here on this program. Godspeed to to all my friends. I, I'm, not, uh, I'm not worthy of people's confidence, but, but thank you. We're talking about the resurrection here. Um, and we're, what we're trying to make a point is, is that it's not just any resurrection, but it's a very particular resurrection. It's a resurrection that's anchored in objective reality. Um, it's not a, a resurrection that is just a subjective encounter with what we call a resurrected Jesus, and and therefore uh, I can kind of give Jesus a wax nose and make him whatever I want him to be. Um, when we have these kind of subjective encounters, meaningful experience sometimes they're called, um, it has the advantage uh, so-called of canceling out the time chasm between us and the historical Christ who rose from the grave so many years ago. And when we have this encounter, we're, we're basing everything on our personal encounter. It makes us to be contemporaries with Jesus. And and those who have this Aesop fable resurrection generally believe the scriptures are all paradox and contradiction. And, and given such a paradoxical revelation that can mean anything, it usually does mean anything to any number of different people. What we need now is clarity in the pulpit more than ever. And the clarity has to begin with the, with the fundamentals of biblical Christianity. And the fundamentals are the cross and the empty grave, the ascension of our Lord Jesus Christ and Pentecost, empowering the church to do and proclaim this crucified and resurrected reigning King, the Lord Jesus Christ. And if we keep embracing these kind of subjective um, Christianities, that talk about our personal encounter or a personal relationship absent of being anchored in Scripture, we're going to keep having a church that's, that's not anchored. And that's what I'm arguing for the day as I'm arguing for the resurrection, is that we be an anchored people that can stand the zeitgeist blowing all around us. And we certainly know what we need today more than anything is to be able to have a foundation where we don't blow with every strange wind of doctrine. As a result of subjectivism in the church, the subjective resurrection, um, it does, the church today does not confess altogether the same resurrected Christ, but rather all confess different Christ together at the same time. 
We may be part of the same denomination and perhaps even attend the same churches, yet the resurrected Christ that we're all confessing is potentially, at least, as different as each and every individual doing the confessing. And all of this is important because it's not, it is not that we believe in some kind of resurrection that matters, but rather that we believe in a very particular God-defined resurrection that matters. The resurrection that's spoken of throughout the scriptures. Now, what is behind what we have briefly discussed here happens in two different opposite ways. People can assume the supernatural can't be true. Um, this is called, uh, in history, has been called neo-orthodoxy, um, Bardianism. Uh, it presupposes that the supernatural can't be true, and then it reads the Bible and says, well, I believe the Bible, I believe in Christianity, I believe in the resurrection. But it, if you presuppose the Bible, the supernatural isn't true, then whatever you mean by those words, I believe in the Bible, I believe in the resurrection, they obviously are going to have a different content than the person who believes that Scripture is true. Also, these views can presuppose that God is so transcendent that we can't reach him. So we, we want to ask, what is the answer to this wrong way of thinking about the resurrection? Well, we have to be, first of all, as we've been saying over and over again in different ways, we have to be confident in God's recorded revelation. Uh, scripture teaches to the law and to the testimony. If they do not speak according to this word, they have no light of dawn. And that's what the scriptures do. They point to the reality of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Going back as far as perhaps the oldest book in the Bible, in the book of Job, all the way through the scriptures, and then and then brought with vivid uh, reality in, in the New Testament, this proclamation of the resurrection. Second uh, Timothy 3.16 teaches all scripture is inspired by God and, and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequately equipped for every good work. And so the scriptures are reliable. And when the Holy Spirit tells us to the Apostle Paul that Christ is resurrected and there were all these witnesses, the, this is a reliability that we have to build our whole lives on. The objective truth of God's revealed word in proclaiming to us the resurrection of Jesus Christ a resurrection that gives us confidence that we've been received by God, that we're owned by God and have favor with God because of the finished work of Jesus Christ, confirmed by and received by the confirmation of his resurrection. In these truths we stand, in these truths we find our whole meaning and definition, in these truths we find our identity. Paul is right when he says, if in this life Christ is not raised, we of all men are to be pitied. And so the resurrection is the central to who we are. If, we, if I didn't have the resurrection, I, ca I can't even begin to think how my life would unravel. But the resurrection is true, and we have the confidence of it being true because God has said it's true. So we have to do all we can to support churches which understand this kind of idea of the resurrection. And for those of you, of you that are younger, that are listening, um, you have to look for a church as your life unfolds that, that anchors you in these truths. Don't just go to a church unless don't, – don't go to a church if it's, if it's just playing at Christianity. Make sure they're anchored in these, in these truths like the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Uh, for those that are younger, make sure as you grow older that the confidence in the resurrection is a non-negotiable. This historical real resurrection that we're speaking of is what the Holy Spirit speaks of in 1 Corinthians 15. Paul there doesn't speak that it's true to me. He calls for the historic, he calls forth the historical evidence. 
He cites the witnesses that can be called forth. He's not speaking of a resurrection that was based on the truth that Christ has, has arisen in his heart. The scriptures everywhere testify to the historicity of the resurrection. Christ has flesh and bones that one can examine by touching. He's breakfast with his disciples. Christ's resurrection is as historical, dear listener, as your own birth. For your parents out there, you must train your children to think this way. Get them a good catechism, the Heidelberg Catechism, the Westminster Larger or Shorter Catechism. Teach them about the historicity and the reliability of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Because if you don't, they're going to imbibe the zeitgeist that's around them, too often in, in, in the church even, and they will very likely abandon the faith. And so you have, to, you have to teach them. You have to model before them the reliability of the resurrection. You have to tell them why these things are true and why it's instrumental in their lives. You have to give them a confidence of the resurrection. You have to grow them up so that they understand that without the resurrection, they lose their identity. And the fact that we haven't done this is testified by the reality that too often when our children hit 18, they graduate not only from high school, but they graduate from the church. We must be careful of this idea of a spiritual-only resurrection. In other words, there are those who believe that the resurrection is real, but they make it so spiritual that um, it loses touch with reality. And that's what we want to talk about a little bit uh, now. There's a tendency uh, for the reform to make spiritual other than what it really is. And with that, we'll go to the next pause. The next and final pause this Easter weekend, this holy weekend between Good Friday and Resurrection Day. We are here now with Pastor Brett McAtee, charlottereform.org. One more segment with the good man right after this. Hey there, TPC family. This is James Edwards, your host of The Political Cesspool. Folks, I want you to subscribe to the American Free Press, America's last real newspaper. Against all odds, AFP has and continues to publish a populist, independent print newspaper with an unparalleled track record. Founded by a dedicated group of experienced patriots, AFP pulls no punches and tackles the most controversial and pressing issues facing America from an America First perspective. I've worked with the American Free Press since even before the beginning of TPC. Now that's something. You can subscribe to the print edition by visiting AmericanFreePress.net today or simply pick up a handy digital edition subscription. However you do it, subscribe to the American Free Press, America's last real newspaper, by visiting AmericanFreePress.net or by calling 1-88-699-NEWS, AmericanFreePress.net. Small Business Tech Guys is a team of experts ready to assist you with any service relating to growing your business. Our team specializes in information and technology, social media, general consulting, and HR. We thrive on assisting startup entrepreneurs with growing their businesses. If it's small business, it's our cup of tea. To schedule your free discovery call today, consider sbtechguys.com. We keep an eye on tech so you don't have to. sbtechguys.com. Have you ever heard of Loving Liberty Ladies? Well, the Loving Liberty Ladies are here to help you learn our American heritage and the way it affects today's society. The Loving Liberty Ladies also have a discussion guide called Proclaim Liberty. And with this guide, you can start your own group in your hometown. Get yours today on our website at lovingliberty.net. Look for our lesson supplements, too. They're free. To hear all the special offers and to join the fight for freedom and liberty, please go to lovingliberty.net. 
Luke chapter 24 tells us that he is not here. He has risen. The Christian response to that is he has risen indeed. Uh, this uh, Yesterday was Good Friday, which marks the beginning of the weekend where most of the Christian world, our Eastern friends celebrated a little bit later, commemorates the uh, what is the most pivotal point in history, the day by which history is divided, the death and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. Imagine what it must have felt like for his mother, his disciples, the small family, small band of family and friends to watch as he agonizingly gasped for air on the cross. What was going through their minds as they witnessed the most unspeakable act of injustice the world has ever seen unfold right before their very eyes. We find ourselves lamenting the slow and grinding death of our own nation, our own culture, our own very flesh and blood kinsmen during this degenerate age. But at the very darkest of hours, we must remember the words spoken so long ago at that empty tomb. He is not here. He is risen. And to the degree that those words resonate in our hearts this Easter weekend, this Resurrection Day weekend, they strike fear in the hearts of our enemies who are overplaying their hand even as we speak this evening with Pastor Brett McAtee. The more we take those words to heart, he is not here, he is risen, the more those who oppose us lose heart because they instinctively know what we too easily forget. It only takes one. We don't have to outnumber them. And it can happen because it did happen. And he promised that we would do even greater things than he because he would be working through us. And I want you to remember that this Easter weekend and have a blessed Resurrection Day tomorrow. Pastor Brett McAtee, the last 10 minutes of this program, this last 10 minutes before Easter is yours, brother. James, we got to find a pulpit for you, brother. Amen. <laughs> I could have gone that route, I think. In a different world, I could have gone that route. (laughs) And I would have been happy doing it. As we press on, we're reminded that that the resurrection does remind us of God's victory, God's victory in space and time. And piggybacking just a wee bit on what James said here, we need to have confidence in light of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Confidence not only in his resurrection, but confidence in the reality of what Scripture teaches that we've been resurrected with him, and that we're now living resurrected lives. I'm going to talk about that in just a wee bit. But as dark as the night now seems around us, culturally speaking, as wacky and as insane as it is, and it is insane, we can look to the resurrection and we can be reminded that God wins, that God gets the victory. And so we may be, it may be the case that we're overwhelmed with numbers against us, but The resurrected Christ has ascended the right hand of the Father, and he reigns and he rules, and he's bringing everything and conducting all of history that Ephesians teaches to the good of the church. And so we can be confident that even though the numbers are overwhelming against us, we can take the attitude of, hey, it's a target-rich environment. I can't miss. And so the resurrection reminds us that we follow a victorious Christ, and we likewise will go from victory unto victory, even if there are temporary setbacks in God's hard providence, overall, we can know that we know that we know because of the resurrection that we are going to win out. Christ reigns. As we're talking about the resurrection, we were segueing and and pivoting just a bit to talk about the nature of the resurrection um, that we have. Christ is risen, and Scripture teaches that we've been risen with Christ. And so there's a connection between Christ as our head and we as the body. Because he's resurrected, we live the resurrected life. And it's not just a spiritual resurrection. We need to be careful of that. Um, There's a tendency 
for evangelicals to make spiritual to mean uh, to speak Plato as as if it means as if it means non-intrusive in our everyday lives. We have been resurrected so that our relationship to the old Adam is superseded by our relationship to the new Adam. We've been taken out of uh, the old Adam, the old covenant head, and then put in the resurrected Christ. And this explains why the expectation is that we would walk, as the scripture says, in newness of life. You see, uh, our resurrection means that we've been resurrected from our old life. Paul can say in Colossians that you've been translated from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of God's dear son. And that translation is a kind of a resurrection that's true because of the resurrected work of Jesus Christ. And so we walk in newness of life because we are now in a new kingdom. We are resurrected beings right now. Do you understand that, listeners? It's not that we're waiting to be resurrected. That's true. We are waiting for our not yet uh, resurrected bodies, but there's a sense in which we're resurrected even now. We are resurrected beings, and though we are not yet all that we one day will be, we are creatures who live in this present age as walking and living in the resurrected age to come. Um, some of you are familiar with Tolkien. I'm a, I'm a big Tolkien fan. Um, one of his characters, Legolas, um, in one of his works, Legolas lived in two worlds at the same time, and we're the same way. Uh, we live in the, this present wicked age, but also because we're grounded and anchored in Christ's resurrection, we live and walk in the age to come. And because of the resurrect, re- resurrection, we walk in newness of life. And so we are his ambassadors, his resurrected people, being the aroma of the resurrected of Christ everywhere. And scripture teaches that that resurrection life is the smell of death to those who are perishing, but it's the smell of life to those that are being saved. And so this tells us that this walking in newness of life that is reality because of our resurrection with Christ, that this walking in newness of life should make us a pucker up or duck kind of people. That is to say that people should either want to kiss us or they should want to punch us. They should want to punch us because they're enemies of Christ. They should want to kiss us because we with them are friends of Christ. This is the nature of the resurrected life. We've been resurrected to walk in this newness of life, and that's impinging and influencing on everything around us that's not yet been resurrected. So in some sense, then we as the resurrected are the bearers of resurrection life to all that we come in contact with. Now, fellow believer, have you thought about yourself that way? That you in your very existence are the bearer of the resurrection life to all that we come in contact with, to all that you put your hand to. So Christians, as being those who have been resurrected, regenerated, given newness of life, translated from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of God, to your son whom he loves, Christians who live the resurrected life, that resurrection should get in everything that they do in their relationships, in their thinking, in their speaking. Praise God for the resurrection that's given not only to our Lord Christ, but also to us as fellow believers. This reality of having now been Resurrected the Christ is why Paul can write about our now being seated in the heavenlies with Jesus Christ there in Ephesians. It is why he could write that we have been now translated to the kingdom of God's dear son whom he loves. It's why we could write that our citizenship is in heaven, keeping in mind that heaven is invading this present wicked age via his resurrected citizenry. The now of our resurrected status cannot be hidden under the bushel of the not yet of our resurrection. 
The kingdom has come, and we are citizens of that future creational age kingdom, bringing the aroma of Christ and the kingdom into all that we come in contact with. And I don't know if I'll be able to have the time to get through this poem, but I want to end with a poem by John Updike. Um, you can look it up if I don't get through it. Um, you can pi- uh, punch into the search engine, John Updike, Resurrection. Here's the poem. Make no mistake, if he rose at all, it was as his body. If the cell's dissolution did not reverse, the molecules renit, the amino acids rekindle, the church will fall. It was not as the flowers, each soft spring recurrent. It was not as his spirit in the mouths and fuddled eyes of the 11 apostles. It was as his flesh, ours. The same hinged thumbs and toes, the same valved heart that pierced, died, withered, paused, and then regathered out of enduring might, new strength to enclose. Let us not mock God with metaphor, analogy, sidestepping transcendence, making of the event a parable, a sign painted in the faded credulity of earlier ages. Let us walk through the door. The stone is rolled back, not paper mache, not a stone in a story, but the vast rock of materiality that in the slow grinding of time will eclipse for each of us the wide light of day. And if we will have an angel at the tomb, make it a real angel. Weighty with Max Planck's quanta, vivid with hair, opaque in the dawn light, robed in real linen, spun on a definite loom. Let us not seek to make it less monstrous for our own convenience, our own sense of beauty, lest awaken in one think- unthinkable hour we are embarrassed by the miracle and crushed by remonstrance. Beautiful, beautiful poem by Updike talking about the real reality of Jesus Christ, that he resurrected not as some kind of a spirit, that he resurrected not just in the imagination of his disciples, that it was not just the fact that they somehow believed he was resurrected, therefore that was the faith that caused the church to go forward, but that he really corporeal, physically resurrected from the grave. Jesus Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. He is risen indeed, ladies and gentlemen. Pastor Brett McAtee, thank you so much for bringing your message to this audience tonight. You can join Pastor Brett and his congregation up in Michigan for worship every Sunday morning at 10 a.m. at charlottereformed.org. I know several of you listening tonight do that already. Ladies and gentlemen, if you're looking for a fellowship, uh, that's one right there that you should go to while you're waiting to find one in the flesh. But he had the flesh Uh, and in the flesh fellowship and a brick and mortar fellowship at charlottereform.org. Pastor Brett, he is risen. He is risen indeed. Happy Resurrection Day to you, my friend and my brother. And we look forward to the next time we talk to you already. For Dr. Michael Hill and Keith Alexander, the entire production crew and staff here at TBC, I'm James Edwards. God bless you. We'll talk to you next week. You're listening to Resolution Radio, 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 ResolutionRDO.com.